Hello and welcome to Medieval, a medieval pop culture podcast. My name is Oliver Brady. And I'm Sarah F. Decker. And on this podcast, we look at uh, movies, TV, and books from medieval historical fiction and medieval-esque fantasy. And we talk about what they get right, what they get wrong, and how they and what they tell us about how modern people see the medieval world. Good. Uh, one thing I do want to say is that one of my friends listened to an episode of this this week, and he said... Uh, Ollie, your podcast partner, um, Sarah, and I was like, yeah, and she goes, and he said, it's great the way she says medieval ass fantasy. Oh, no. At the beginning <laughs> of the episode. And I went, what do you mean? And he says, she goes, she says it's both historical fiction and medieval ass fantasy. And I was like, going, I think she says medieval-esque. And he said, no, 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 I've listened to it. She definitely says medieval ass fantasy. So... Well, now I'm going to be I don't anxious know if anyone about else. this for the rest of our time recording. Add information. I don't. I've, I am the one who edits the podcast. I have never heard that, so I don't know where he's picking this up. But he was like, "Oh, it's cool that you are just so casual about it." It's like medieval ass fantasy. Um, what we do here, uh, or sorry, what Sarah does here, I'm, I'm just here as a color commentator or something, is we talk about what to get right, what to get wrong, and what that tells us about how modern people think about the medieval past. Now. As I said, I'm only here uh, on a, to have a good time. Sarah, you got some sort of like PhD or something. I don't know. You've mentioned it a few times. Right? I do. I have a PhD in medieval history and I teach university medieval history courses. Uh, so I decided I wanted to do this podcast because my students keep coming in with all of these things that they think that are very wrong about the Middle Ages that they get from watching medieval movies. And what sort of stuff do they think? is Like, have you ever had somebody come in and ask you about... Miss, when were the dragon times? I haven't gotten that bad, but I have gotten a decent amount of just assumptions that people are constantly murdering each other based on Game of Thrones. Uh, so that's a pretty popular one. Uh, and I did actually, at some point last semester, get a question about Jus Prime Noctis. Which, of course, was a thing, as we have canon in this podcast your mom confirmed it for us. Which, of course, in this podcast, we have discussed as canon is not a thing. And that's what I also told my students this, this past semester. Oh, well, we'll see. Now, normally we go straight into talking about the movie. But today we have a very special guest. Sarah, who is our guest? Our guest today is uh, Tracy Tanoff. Tracy, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little about uh, why you decided to be on the podcast with us and talk about our movie for today? Yes. Hello, everybody. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of like cajoled Sarah and Ollie to like be on the podcast for this movie. <laughs> forced. Forced is the way to describe. Like as soon as they said they were, they were doing a medieval podcast, I was like, hey, if you guys need an ep- like a guest for the Outlaw King episode, I'm here. <laughs> but um, I have some great loves in my life. And one of them is period drama. And another one of them is Chris Pine. Like um, he's going to be in a series this year where he like helps solve like the Black Dahlia murders or something and like maybe a week after the trailer came out for that I'm walking into the break room at work and like my butt isn't even in the seat and one of my coworkers is like Trace is that Chris Pine Black Dahlia thing on your radar so it's like <laughs> when you have like a personal brand that like everybody knows about I think everybody knows that like Chris Pine in period settings is one of mine so <laughs> yeah I I was going to say because Tracy's been on on my other podcast and she just kept crapping on about Jane Austen 
So I'm just wondering, has has Christopher Pine ever showed up in a Jane Austen adaption? If if they need like an American interloper that like never existed in Jane Austen's novels, he <laughs> absolutely could. But hey, he did he did a well, pretty good Scottish accent here, so he can just waltz in whenever he wants. If, yeah, if they've already had an oh sorry, I was going to say they've already had an American interloper. Her name was Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> What would be your ideal Jane Austen role for Chris Pine doing a British accent? Oh, he'd probably be like a really good, like one of the rogues, like Wickham or something. Like he has that like mm. like I, bad boy charm. It's the first thing that popped yeah. into my head was he would make a great Wickham. That's Wickham's the bad guy from Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice, uh, which is slightly too late for this podcast. <laughs> So, well, Just a little bit. if we can stretch it out <laughs> to the three musketeers, um, Sarah, Tracy kind of gave the game away a little bit there. What movie are we doing today? So today we are doing 2018's Outlaw King, a movie that is very aggressively not Braveheart. <laughs> Just to repeat this, everybody, it's not Braveheart. <laughs> this is not your daddy's Scottish independence movie. It most definitely is w- not. William Wallace is like, sir, not appearing in this movie other than like an appendage. <laughs> oh, oh, a bit of him yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> <Just a bit. laughs> Who are our two main stars, uh, Sarah? Um, so, of course, Chris Pine. I don't, are, you're not counting Chris Pine's dick as one of the other major stars of this movie, <laughs> oh, yes, are you? Because uh, that was really just a cameo. Um, that was... All I, I want to say they they hyped that up so much, and I must have looked away from my screen for like two <laughs> minutes, and I did not see his dick at all. <laughs> it was really underwhelming considering how much they talked about his dick appearing in this movie. Like, not that I desperately need to see Chris Pine's dick, but based on how much they talked about it, I really expected to see more of it. Yeah, like, I was waiting for the reviews for this, like, from the festival circuit, and, like, the first, like, three articles that came out were, like, you see Chris Pine's dick in Outlaw <laughs> King, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I, when you went into work, uh, Tracy, did somebody just, like, run over to you, sit down beside you and go, tell us about that dick? <laughs> He did, a- he did ask me, like, if I had, like, heard the reviews, and I was like, well, apparently you see him naked, and he's like, well, he teased it in Wonder Woman, he may as well just show us the whole thing. So. <laughs> in fairness, I'm, you probably see more of Chris Pine in Wonder Woman than you do in this I movie. I think so. Maybe, he's just, maybe it's that, like, in every movie he's in from here on, you'll see just a little bit more of his <laughs> Oh, man, I can't wait for the new Star Trek. <laughs> It'll be a whole new direction for the thing. Um, I did see a review of it once which said Robert DeBruce, or Chris Pine playing Robert DeBruce and Richard DeBruce, which I thought was <laughs> quite, a, a quite witty way to put it. Um, we also then have Stephen Delane, uh, Stannis Baratheon himself, as uh, as Edward I. Um, Edward Longshanks, not their Longshanks, Sarah. You get it wrong every time. Yeah, thank goodness they managed to. Uh, in this movie, unlike in Braveheart, they stopped calling him the Longshanks, though they still did not call him the Hammer of the Scots, I think, which is his nickname yeah. that makes a lot of sense to use in movies about him being a dick in Scotland. <laughs> but in fairness, Chris Pine's penis is in this movie, so therefore there's only one Hammer of the Highlands. <laughs> 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 then, then we have 
James Cosmo, an actor I absolutely love. I don't think I've ever seen him in something where he's he's just not giving it one hundred percent. Um, and he's he's from Braveheart, and he's in Game of Thrones. He's John Mormont in Game of Thrones. Um, he's he is Brendan Leeson's dad. Brendan Leeson's dad is what I meant to say there in uh, in Braveheart. He's just a great uh, character actor, and he does loads of great stuff. I, I really enjoy his his movie. Yeah, and of course, Stephen Delane was also in Game of Thrones as Stannis Baratheon. Mm. So he's we all love a bit of Stannis. Yeah. He's way better in the book. Mm. It's not often I say this about movies and books, uh, although I do have certain feelings about Ron Weasley. Mm. But um, yeah, uh, Stannis Baratheon in the book is awesome, and Stannis Baratheon in the TV show is like uh, he's a bit of a damn squib. Yeah, and then there's also stuff that's in the show that's not in the book that I don't know if we should have like spoilers for Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, we probably right now, probably but not just there's a couple case. particular things that it's like, oh no, why'd you make him do that? <laughs> uh, and then we had Florence Pugh uh, and she's playing Robert's well not to spoil what's going to happen in the movie but she plays Robert Bruce's wife Elizabeth oh, Bird she's so good uh, she's a, a good actress and she's starring in the movie with The Rock next year so I'll definitely be seeing her again <laughs> mm. she also was born in 1996 which makes me feel very old <laughs> that's only five years younger than me and even I looked that up and was like <laughs> yeah, that's so uh, I can imagine I guess, how you feel. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's nine years younger than me, and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. It's like fifteen <laughs> years younger than me. Oh wait, whatever. You and your youth. Um, there are a bunch of other people in this movie. It's actually a, a well-stacked cast, but they're all um character actors. Nobody really stands out. We could probably throw uh a little bit of love to the way of the guy who plays Edward II. His name is Billy Wolf, um, something along those Billy lines. Billy Howe, uh, and he's Billy Howe, and he's a he's a he's a decent actor. He's he's fine. He is very over the top in this. I really is. I've seen him in another like big movie, like well, big for me. It was a period piece that like made no money. <laughs> I've seen him in another movie last year, and I had no idea he was in this movie until afterwards when I looked at the cast list, and I was like, "Fuck, he was <laughs> in this movie." <laughs> They did a they did a good job of making him look different. He was in Dunkirk. Yeah. Oh, okay. Guys in Dunkirk, and uh, what was the period piece you um, saw on on, on Chesil Beach with Saoirse Ronan? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good old Saoirse going out there and, and doing it well for hours. I saw I watched Mary Queen of Scots yeah. this week. Oh, how was that? And, uh, she's she's very good in it. Okay. Like it, it she's really believable in the character. Um, but the rest of the movie just. Yeah, the movie is Mm -hmm. kind of a mess, which was disappointing because I love that director and I love so many people in the cast and the movie just like didn't really come together. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's weird. It's like it should have worked way better than it did. Mm. And and some of the elements in it are like Margot Robbie's very Mm. good in it. And she's Mm -hmm. not in Um, it as much as they like the trailers led you to believe. (laughs) Like my Yeah, like my mom and I saw it, and at the, like we walked out of that movie, we're like, Margot Robbie was not in that movie as much as you would have thought that she was. <laughs> yeah, the trailer makes it imply or implies that she is at least fifty fifty with Saoirse no, Ronan. Yeah, and <laughs> she couldn't be; she might be in it for twenty minutes total. Is she Elizabeth? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's playing Elizabeth. Well, Florence Pugh is playing Elizabeth in this movie. And we're going to go through the movie now. A different Elizabeth. And we're going to go through a recap. And this is a section we call Enumeratio. Sarah, how does this movie start? I bet you, in fact, 
I'm going to guess that you absolutely love the first 10 seconds of this movie. So the first 10 seconds of this movie is basically looking at a candle. Um, but while you're looking at a candle, there is opening text that says, this film is based on historical events, which I read and immediately went, we'll see, Outlaw King. We will see. <laughs> I also like the idea that they didn't say this is based on a true story either. <laughs> no. Like, this is based on historical events. <laughs> Real ones, we promise. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, so we start outside. There oh, was sorry, some Jessica, review that was like saying that the story that this is like based on it was like it was mostly a legend. It's like, hey, how can you be like mostly a legend and be like <laughs> so? I love the idea. It's like nothing in this movie for like actually happened, but it may have. Like, <laughs> wait, was that was that Robin Hood? <laughs> I think that's how the new Robin Hood starts. This is mostly a legend. <laughs> Uh, the new Robin Hood. I am very excited to see and talk about that movie. Oh, I'm looking forward to watching. Um, <laughs> I have heard so many things. So, <laughs> the movie begins outside Stirling Castle and we have Robert de Bruce and there's a bunch of other Scottish nobles and they're surrendering to Edward I. So this is clearly after the final battle of William Wallace from Braveheart, right? Um, because that's when Robert de Bruce would have uh, would have surrendered. So Robert spars with Edward's heir, that's Edward II. I, I remember watching this at the time and saying to Sarah, what is this fight even about? Yeah. It's pointless. It's like, we once fought with swords as children. We should have a sword fight now with real swords as men. I also think it was it, a lot yeah. of like, look at our like rotating camera work to like show off our period detailing. Like, because the first, like, maybe, like, three minutes after they walk out of that tent is, like, these wide, like, rotating, sweeping shots of, like, all these just men in, like, period clothing. And I was like, <laughs> well, this is really interesting. <laughs> it also, therefore, gives us a really good opportunity to see every angle of uh, Edward II's inexplicable bowl cut that he has. Oh, my God, that thing was so bad. <laughs> I have no idea where it's... that haircut came from. <laughs> It's a weird haircut. It's so it, for those of you listening, if if you haven't seen the movie, if you picture a tonsure but without the bald spot, it's so random. I don't I don't get it at all. Was this a thing, Sarah? I mean, it was for monks with the shaved part in the middle. I mean, I actually <laughs> yeah. like I looked up a ton of pictures of Edward the Second, and he did not have hair like that in any of them. He had normal hair. <laughs> It's just so. I it it was getting to the point where I was like, bring back the curls from uh from Braveheart. Yeah. Um, but at least at this point, he's not mincing around. Yeah. Um. We'll. I'll get to this a bit more at the end, but or I don't know. Probably here and there throughout. I don't love the portrayal of Edward the Second, but it is an improvement over Braveheart. Mm-hmm. Um. So Edward the First then uh blows up the castle for some reason, and he uses Greek fire to do it because you know as they all had back in those days. Um, and then we also find out that Robert Bruce is going to get married to his goddaughter, uh, Elizabeth Burke. Yeah. So, um, moving forward. So, Elizabeth Burke, who, by the way, is... Should I, I keep forgetting to check if she's actually really Irish or Anglo-Irish, but her family are from Ireland. Yeah, her, 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 dad, was, um, her dad was the second Earl of Connacht. Yeah. So I am 100% certain that she was born in Ireland, so that makes her Irish. Okay. But she would have spent most of her childhood in Northern Ireland. But back then, it wasn't Northern Ireland. It was just Ireland. So 
technically, yeah, but they would have come from from British stock. Right. right. Yeah, British that's stock. yeah, that's what I figured was most likely the case, but didn't actually look yeah. it up. They're uh, her. Uh, her would have been her grand nieces and nephews would have gone on to rebel against the crown about I'd say about two hundred and fifty years after this is oh good for them um, did did not win no but good, <laughs> but good at least for them for trying <laughs> uh, and she's uh, we also meet uh, an English queen um, Sarah what's her name I, 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 didn't, I didn't quite catch yeah it. nobody would have caught it caught it because it was not mentioned and in fact it took me until an hour or so into the movie to realize who she was supposed to be based solely on my own historical knowledge not on any words spoken in this movie um, so she is Edward the first second wife Margaret of France uh, who fun fact is actually the aunt of Edward the second's future wife Isabella our heroine from Braveheart um but yeah so we have yet another nameless English queen who just appears every now and then in this movie and then we have the first of our what I would describe as a modern conversation taking place in this movie where Edward II is talking to Edward I and Edward I tells him to grow up this is after the Robert Bruce sword fight and his response is I have grown up you just don't like me very much which is not something I can ever imagine somebody in this time period actually saying. No, a lot of the conversation and the relationships between people feel very deeply unmedieval. Um, with, in the next scene, the perhaps starkest example of that is in the marriage between Elizabeth and Robert the Bruce. <laughs> um <laughs> Where they get married, but then he sees that she's nervous and uncomfortable and decides to not consummate the marriage, which feels like this very modernist way of saying, like, he's a good guy. He's not one of those boorish medieval men. I literally wrote that in my notes, too. Like, first of all, I was laughing over, like, the monk, like, in their bedchamber, like, blessing the union. I was like, well, that sets, <laughs> right. like, that sets the mood. And then, like, so, and then, like, he, and, and then, like, you know, the monk leaves and he gets up and, like, bids her good night. And I was like, oh, so this is when we see that he's a good guy because he doesn't rape her. Like, you know, <laughs> like, yep. and then I was thinking about, like, how sad I am that, like, it's, like, the lowest bar to clear, but I was like, wow, this movie didn't have, like, any threats of, like, rape, you know, like, yay, like, <laughs> good movie. Yeah, from a from a modern perspective, um, I really appreciate that. From a medieval perspective, it's, like, on the wedding night, like, that, that, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, especially so, because they imply um, that they delay the consummation for, like, two years or something, and, like... Which if you actually so figure out weird. the timing, yeah. Yeah, like, he would have gotten really familiar with his right hand. Like, I'm just saying. Like, he would not have waited and that long. And all of his people would have been like, why isn't your wife pregnant, dude? Yeah. It's because she's an old Irish whore, that's why. Um, but uh, <laughs> this, is, this is, we're recording this just to, to, to peek behind the curtain. We're recording this the day before we release the Tristan and Isolde episode. So... The fact that this is so similar to the first night between Isolde and Mark, which was your way of knowing that Mark was a good dude as well, because he's like, oh, Isolde, I'll never force you to do anything. If you don't want to, we won't have to. And it's the exact same thing Sarah said to me when we were watching that movie is bullshit. Yeah, no. <laughs> no way it ever went down this way. Yeah, no, they, they didn't do that. They said, come on over here, let me put a baby in you. <laughs> oh, God. 
Um, yeah, so the English come down and they're like, right, we're going to get, we have to replace some of our soldiers because you dirty Scots killed a bunch of them. So they're basically trying to conscript locals into the army. Um, and the only one who stands up to them is Elizabeth. And this is the point where all of the other people are meant to, uh, like, I think that scene is meant to be like, who's this woman? What is she doing? But also we've got grudging respect for her. And I'm not certain if that was the kind of thing that would have been happening around at the stage. And then Sarah said to me, where's William Wallace when all this is going on? <laughs> yeah, it's very conspicuous how not there William Wallace is. Um, this is also the point where uh, with Elizabeth and she starts like throwing a bunch of shade basically at the men, which kind of boils down to basically like, oh, look, like I am even better than all of these men. Um which, like, not that there aren't occasional examples of medieval women basically, you know, taunting men with their failures of masculinity. But the whole thing did feel a little bit too, hey, look, it's a modern feminist in a medieval movie. Yeah, like, she, when they're trying to, like, conscript a child, like, she comes in and says, I know for a fact that he prefers to command men, not children. And inwardly, I was like, yeah! And then outwardly, I was like, <laughs> that wouldn't have happened. Like, <laughs> so. yeah. <laughs> so you know i mean it definitely was a like yeah good job but then it was also like oh but could we maybe find a way to have her be cool but in a way that people would have been cool in the middle ages could we try yeah and i felt that about like (laughs) a lot of like her really good moments like there's a, a good moment between her and robert later after he like sends her out of the room to have like a manly discussion with his brothers and like you know she has like this great speech it's like that's great i don't think that would have happened ever like <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah uh, so so uh yeah so <laughs> later on um we we cut a couple uh, it, it's definitely a time has passed for the next scene now i'm not certain how much time has passed but robert's coming along and he's dropping in his um he's dropping in his taxes uh in a scene which i i remember thinking to myself this is incredibly weird it's like they set it up that they're leaving his castle and they're going to travel to the town or whatever it is, or they're going to go to Sterling or wherever it was, is that they're showing up in. And I assumed from the way that they'd set the scene that they were going to be attacked in the woods and there was going to be something about the gold going missing or something. But no, no, they just leave and then deliver it into the tax collectors. Mm. And then they come out to find out that uh, there's a group of people kind of grouped around a square. And what are these people seeing, Sarah? They're seeing our brief appearance of William Wallace in this movie. Or perhaps I should say William Wallace's arm. Yeah. So it's the dismembered corpse of William Wallace. Not even all the dismembered corpse of William Wallace. I'm assuming they sent bits of him to different cities. Yeah, exactly. People know he was dead. Um, That's the point of arms. Yeah, I wonder (laughs) how many arms they actually sent around. Because how are you going to recognize it as William Wallace's? (laughs) Mm. So it's like... 10 cities in Scotland probably got an arm each and another 10 got legs each. So like saints relics? Yeah, but no, no. <laughs> when there was like 10 heads of John the Baptist and like 60 breasts of St. Agatha wandering around <laughs> medieval churches. That's because God blessed them all, sir. Mm. <sighs> okay. But uh, so William Wallace is, is dead and then Robert de Bruce's dad dies. I literally was making a joke that they were going to kill off Robert the Bruce's dad, and then they did as I was typing the joke. It's, like, so abrupt, too. 
Like, they're having this conversation, and, like, you can kind of tell that it's coming because his dad is, like, getting glassy-eyed and about to cry, and, like, there's a scene just before that where, like, Robert is struggling to, like, vocalize anything to Elizabeth, and I'm like, of course, a man shows emotion in this movie, which means he's going to die, like, a second later. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So, William Wallace is dead, Robert DeBruce is dead, so that's basically all of the heroes of our Robert DeBruce are dead, and, um... Sarah did point out one thing about this is that the decree would not be in English and it would not be written in Comic Sans. <laughs> the font was um, so bad. Couldn't they have tried like a slightly medieval looking font? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so weird. Um, now, Sarah, this is where it came in to a little bit of awkwardness for me because you're going to have to fill in using your extensive historical knowledge here. Why did Robert then decide to try and convince people to go for a throne in Scotland? Was it in memory of William Wallace or did something else happen to trigger this effect? I think it was part in memory of William Wallace, but I think it was also because there were riots after the death of William Wallace. And he, I think, kind of starts getting the sense that there would be popular support for it if he decided to push for it. And so I think he just basically decided the time was ripe and he could get away with it, I think, more than anything else. Uh Uh-huh. Because in Braveheart, it's definitely implied it's because he was hot for William Wallace. <laughs> right. I don't think I don't think there's that much evidence for that he wants to bone down with William Wallace. Although, hey, who knows? I mean, I'm certainly not going to say he didn't. Um, but the next scene, I think, is very. It's actually very funny because he's trying to convince other nobles to join him in this. Like, we we're going to become, we're going to separate out, and we're going to become our own country again. And he goes and talks to John Common. Um, and he's like, yeah, come on, come on, John, you're right, John, John basically says, no, you twat. I have no interest in this whatsoever. Uh, so Robert panics and kills him. <laughs> well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, and it's so shocking. I remember watching it at the time going, what? Especially I, because, I, in particular, he stabbed him in a church, which is a big no-no in Catholics. Mm. Yeah, I I literally was watching it, and then I was like, you know, and the the scene was, like, going along, going along, and I was like, damn, someone just got stabbed. Like, you know, it was just like, (laughs) whoa. (laughs) Yeah, and stabbing people in a church is a big deal. They, they, well, they excommunicate you for it, and they did indeed excommunicate him. Mm. So he goes to the bishops, and he's like, oh, but I'm a good guy, really. What will I do? And then they basically say, if you become a king you get to make sure that we're independent of the state, basically. So I'm not sure if that's a win for anybody <laughs> in that situation, but yeah. let's see how it goes. Yeah. And then he becomes declared an outlaw. He's now an outlaw king. Hey, that's the name of this film. <laughs> uh, so King Edward uh, says to King Edward II, and he's he's right. So he's basically about to plan to go up and crush Robert de Bruce and his rebellion. So Edward II comes up and goes, "Let me lead them. I'll lead them. I'll be the best of the bestest. Let me try it." And um, yeah, so he gets permission to fly the dragon banner, which I'm fairly certain was a real thing. Yes. Sarah says it was a real thing as well. Yes, I looked it up. Um, and what does it mean? So? Uh, so it's the war flag, and basically it means that all of the codes of chivalry are irrelevant, so that even if you're a fancy nobleman, they're not going to take you prisoner, they're going to kill you. 
which is pretty badass when you think about yeah. it. It's like, we're going to put on the dragon banner. So we're not just fighting for England right now, which would be tree lions or whatever it would happen to have been. It wouldn't have been back then tree lions, but that's what it is now. Um, and it would have been saying, oh, well, we're putting up the dragon banner, which means that we can do whatever the hell we want. And we don't have to be knights with honor and respect or anything this year. We're just going to kill all this of is you. A English are our cunts. This is a dumb question. Sorry, but, this is a dumb question, but is that what the the no quarter means? Just that it's like no mercy, basically. Okay. Yeah, yes. that there are like codes of chivalry that, especially if you're a nobleman, but even if you're you know another person in the army, if you surrender, they're really supposed to you know then just kind of take you prisoner and eventually you know send you back home and you know you'll do prisoner exchanges and things. So they're saying basically we don't have to do that, and even if you surrender, we reserve the right to just kill you anyway. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> exactly. Right? Um, Tracy, do you watch Game um, of Thrones? I've seen the first season. I never went beyond that. And from what oh, I oh good, so I'm glad I didn't spoil Game of Thrones earlier. Yeah, no, I, I oh. like, I, believe me, I'm like surrounded by people that are really into it, and I'm not. But I'm like, you can all do you. I was kind of out when Sean Bean got killed, but so. <laughs> <laughs> but the the whole idea of of quarter is what um is why jamie lannister is held prisoner in the okay. first season it's like there's no reason for them to actually do it there's no strategic value to having him no way tywin was ever going to give him up so it was just basically like they weren't allowed to kill him because okay. he's a nobleman so if he dies in battle he dies in battle but once you capture him he's in a cage and you have to look after him and you know feed him okay. and keep him right which is there's a bunch of right. conversations like that in it like and that's that's based on how it would have been yeah. back in this time yeah i yeah uh, i i have a real um i was gonna say a real nerd boner for that stuff <laughs> but i do remember reading the rules of chivalry a lot when i was a kid i was like oh this is really cool stuff like it's it's fun yeah interesting um, also a good example of how there are limits and restrictions on medieval violence Really? Exactly. <laughs> by the dragon banner. <laughs> so the dragon banner, as far as like, if I was walking up to the shops, I'd fly the dragon banner. <laughs> like, put it up. Get out of my way, peasants. Um, now, this is also where I think after uh, the Chris Pine penis scene, I think this is the most famous scene in this movie, which is when Edward II, <laughs> in, in, a, in a bid to inspire his men to go do stuff, holds up two swans that he's wrung the necks of. And he's like, by the blood of these swans, we will conquer. So watching this, my initial reaction was basically like, what the fuck are all these birds doing here? Uh, However, as I will discuss uh, in more detail later, this is a real thing. And actually, to be honest, maybe I shouldn't have been as shocked as I was because it's so fucking weird that I kind of can't imagine anyone thinking to make it up. Yeah, it really isn't the kind of thing where you'd be sitting and you'd be like sitting down writing and saying to yourself, I need something to inspire people. What about he grabs two swans and holds them by the neck? <laughs> right, exactly. It's just like one of those things that's like, oh, it's so weird. It must have, been, it must have really happened. And in fact, it did. <laughs> I just, mm. I just love that there, so, there are like oh, details about this movie that like 
someone is obviously really proud of their research and made them happen. Like I, I read a book one. I read a book <laughs> yeah. once. It's like about a, a woman that like time travels and gets stuck in like the Jane Austen era. And it was like there was this really like cringeworthy moment where like she gets her period, and it was like the author just put it in there to show like I know how women in the oh, Regency no. dealt with their periods. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> and like there, there's a there's that moment with the swans, and then there's a a moment that really made me laugh where apparently at some point during the movie they're having a conversation and there's artichokes on the table and if you look at the wikipedia page there's a segment about the historical accuracy and there's maybe like 11 like short paragraphs of like really legitimate things that like the movie either got right or wrong and at the very bottom it's like there are artichokes on a table at one point and these weren't introduced to the british isles until like such and such and i said to my mom i was like i really want to know who it was that like what wikipedia editor like saw this movie and looked at the artichokes on the table and was like that's fucking wrong and like ran for the book to like prove when the artichokes were came into the british isles oh, oh yeah that's that, that I mean, person's name is sarah Ifdecker. i i was about to say so i mean i missed the artichokes i did not notice the artichokes and therefore did not think to like look into the artichokes um but since i did spend like half an hour doing research about oysters after watching robin hood um i i feel some kinship with uh with artichoke person Oh yeah, I the, the text messages I was getting during Sarah's revelations into the oyster <laughs> world were it's like Ollie, you'll never guess what I'm like, I yeah I you're right I will never guess what what is it what is it Sarah? That's not how they would have prepared oysters. <laughs> like that. I, like, I found a recipe, <laughs> and it was it sounded like a very good recipe too. So we move on and the. Are obviously going to have a battle. Uh, Robert is there to meet um, the English army at a place called Methven. And he challenges the English commander. Now, we've already seen Robert lose a one-on-one sword fight. Now, he wasn't particularly invested in it. But he's there anyway. And the uh, the head of the British army, or the, the, the general, is called Eimer de Valence. Which, uh, or Valence. How would you pronounce that, sir? Um, Valence. I know you probably pronounce so it point... Catalan. I would just probably say Valence because I think we're at the point where uh, we're kind of moving into the like weird Middle English pronunciations. And so you're not going to do yeah. like a proper French pronunciation. Um, mm. But as uh, my so, colleagues, I, I'm ashamed to admit to some of my colleagues, my Middle English is a bit rusty. So I'm not sure, 100% <laughs> yeah. sure, but I would say Valence. It's, it's not one of my I'm top I was going to say, d- damn, Sarah, um, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so... Robert de Bruce challenges him to a battle, and Eimer is played by uh, a British actor. I, I I have a lot of time for. He's just a perfect asshole of uh, an actor because he just looks like an asshole and he acts like an asshole and he's gruff and he's angry. I don't think I've ever seen him be a good guy in anything, and he agrees and he's like, yeah 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 whatever yeah well, I'll meet you at dawn tomorrow. Um. And obviously, you know, he's a very trustworthy British person, but he's flying the dragon banner. So yeah. that means there ain't no chivalry. And what happens to these ever so happy-go-lucky Scots who are having a party in the woods? They a all A party die. where Robert de Bruce... Wait, wait, wait oh, this, yeah. is this the one where Robert de Bruce finally bangs Elizabeth? Yes. Um, the most unrealistic thing in this movie is that Elizabeth... 
comes from their sex with no foreplay and she is presumably a virgin and the whole thing takes like two minutes. <laughs> so you say unrealistic. I'm like, come on now. On. He hasn't had sex in years. <laughs> I'm like, bang on. Right, I'm, not, I'm not surprised that's how, that. that's how it goes down. Like, <clears throat> Is that what they tell you? Um, <laughs> so every time, like, so it works. Mm. Um, I mean, yes, I'm not surprised that he's really quick, uh, since, you know, it's <laughs> according to this movie, it's been like two years for him. Uh, um, Tracy, were you disappointed <laughs> to see Chris Pine finish so quickly? <laughs> I will say I was kind of like, the sex scene struck me as like surprisingly, like evenly filmed. Like you see probably like equal nudity from both of them. And that was like a nice surprise, I guess. Again, like, yeah, no, that's true. Again, like, as I said, a very low bar for things to clear. And I feel bad being right. like, oh, good job movie for not being like <laughs> gratuitously exploitative of this poor girl. So Right. I know. I know sometimes I come out across as a little bit of a prude. Right. But I would have been happy to not see any of the nudity. <laughs> um, like I, I, I don't right. I don't get this is a, this is a larger conversation for another another podcast maybe. But I don't I don't understand why a movie like this requires nipples and ass <laughs> shots. Yeah, right. Like it it genuinely doesn't. I mean, it, you could do uh, not to go back to Braveheart, but you could do that. Here are our shoulders. Right. We are clearly in a loving embrace, and then cut to the next thing. I don't need to see two people having an orgasm to understand the two people yeah. had sex. Right, we can figure it out. I will say that one thing I really liked was that there was like really like genuine like warmth and affection between them to a later ridiculous extent at the end. But um like that was really <laughs> Tracy that they're they're actors. <laughs> Like, that was, like, really nice to see, despite it being an arranged marriage. And something that I, I really liked that we didn't mention before is that when um, when, uh, when the monk has left their bedchamber and, like, you know, and, and Robert leaves Elizabeth and doesn't consummate the marriage, there's a, a woman and a man that have been, like, sitting nearby. And they're, like, sit, and, like, the man is, like, well, that was quick. And the woman's, like, well, you would know all about that, wouldn't you? And I was, like, oh, like, you know, we have, we have like, a body woman in one of these, like, people of these like male dominated yeah. period pieces and like that was pretty cool and it was yeah. and like elizabeth you know it, as it, un, i agree with you sarah that it's unrealistic that she comes in like two minutes but like she actually gets to enjoy whatever <laughs> she actually gets to like enjoy the sex which was nice and i was like yeah. elizabeth was sadly like the only woman ever in this movie but like at least yep. when there was like one other woman she got to have like a body one-liner which like you wouldn't get very often so like <laughs> again really low bar for these things to clear but i was like i guess if i have to have like non-entity female characters besides the main one i would want them to have like a little bit of a personality that way right so that, that was kind of cool <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I will say that compared to some other movies that we have watched for this podcast, cough, Tristan is all cough. Um, oh God, don't even start. They do a not bad job of developing the relationship between the two of them, yeah. and they actually have chemistry. The like the actors have chemistry. Yeah, and like they show her like interacting with his daughter, who we haven't mentioned, and that the movie almost forgets about. And like you know, they have a really the movie definitely forgets <laughs> yeah, the daughter, and they have like a really definitely by yeah. the end. By the end, she is not. Yeah, and and they like throw in a line at the end to be like, "Remember, he had a daughter." Like you know, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh, that was just bad." <laughs> so, <laughs> well, just after he's finished um, 
having what I would have said was just a perfectly normal <laughs> sexual experience with a lady for the first time. Um, <laughs> over two minutes, everybody's happy. Uh, uh, there's a surprise attack by those nasty, nasty English where they fire those very famous and hard to uh, avoid night arrows, which are just regular arrows fired at night time. Flaming um, arrows as I shout wrote out my to, notes. <laughs> shout out to Timeline. Um, night arrows, you know, uh, regular night, arrows. They're, they're so hard to avoid. They're just regular Please arrows. tell me that you guys are going to cover timeline. Oh, we oh already my done God. timeline. I remember like really enjoying that movie, but I know that that movie must be the worst if you're like actually a historian. Oh, yes. <laughs> time, time, yeah. so, cause, and the night arrows are super effective. The Scottish aren't paying attention and they're basically destroyed at this point now you're talking that they might have had a massive army of six thousand soldiers i would say they're lucky if they escape with 20 to 30 men in this now sarah's written down 12 and i think 12 might be how many are left after the next section which is one of the most inexplicable yeah, things wikipedia in said something yeah. like 40 to 50 and i think that they say like 40 in the movie but they say 40 when there are definitely like 12 people on that beach <laughs> So. Yeah, I also I think this is also the scene where there's like a thing happening with boats, and I just got completely lost as to what was supposed to be happening. And like at some yeah. point, I was like, "Is so, Robert the Bruce running away from the battle?" Yeah, and like somebody dies so, in a boat, and I think it's supposed to be like a big emotional moment. And I was like, "I don't know who this person is." <laughs> okay, I, I was like, "This is when I was still awake for this part of the movie, right?" Um, so what happens is Robert the Bruce and his forty men escape. Right, and they, they, they slink off into the woods and they're on the run, right? And they get to a lake and they look across to the other side of the lake and they see that there are boats, right? So Robert de Bruce swims across the lake and then rows back a couple of boats, right? And his men are sitting waiting on the shore because they're gonna they're gonna row away, row across the lake, right? He goes back over for another boat. Right, because they're the best swimmers or whatever it happens to be. I'm not sure what the situation was. So he goes back over, and as he's coming back this time, he sees the English. Yeah, they get ambushed or something. Yeah. And they ambush the Scots for a second time. So he's not running away from the battle. He's trying to get back as fast as he can to get his soldiers who are sitting on the the beach because they're sitting ducks with the boat. So he'd gone over to the other side of the lake to get the boat, and he's coming back. And the guy who gets killed and everything, everyone's really sad, etc. That's Robert the Bruce's brother. Oh. (laughs) You mean one of, like, the multiple men with, like, long hair that, like, looked completely the same? (laughs) Yeah, and he takes a a spear, a very well-thrown spear, through the back of his head while Robert the Bruce is just about to pull him onto the boat. And he has to kind of, like... Let him okay, go so he water. so and he loses like both brothers then, or or one of the like two brothers that was with him at the yeah. castle, and then there's like a separate brother that they get sent off to. That yeah, yeah, yeah. so there's, okay. there's three brothers, and Nigel Nigel is the I'm not for some reason he looks way older <laughs> than Chris Pine, <laughs> um, and I'm not sure why he wouldn't be the the next in line, but so um, Chris Pine has sent. Elizabeth and Marjorie off to live with him in the original Robert de Bruce estate. Right. Marjorie is his daughter, right. who he mainly forgets his daughter. Yeah. Uh, and then the other two brothers are with him. One of them dies in 
the original battle, I think, in the woods, and then the other one gets killed okay. on the lake here. Yeah, and I have to say, I, yeah. I, I love sometime, it's, it's during the coronation scene, where they're, like, listing, you know, like, daughter, or son of, like, whatever, and it's like, Robert the Bruce, son of Robert the Bruce, son of Robert the Bruce, and they say Robert the Bruce, <laughs> right. like, twice or three times, and I was like, okay, we get like, it. Oh my god, stop. <laughs> Yeah, I also just do want to point out at this point that in this movie that has exactly two named female characters, there are about 15 named male characters. In fact, so many that even though they are technically named, it is impossible to follow which one is which. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. And they all look like dirty I have this problem with, like, movies with, like, dudes in, like, armor or uniforms, like... Dunkirk, great movie. Could I tell you who the fuck was who? No. Like, nope. especially once they uh, put the helmets on, I was like, well, I just lost any hope I had of keeping track of anybody. <laughs> so. Just as just as in a little side, and I'll, I'll leave this in, uh, I saw Dunkirk, and then my uncle saw Dunkirk, who was a soldier back in the mm-hmm. 50s, right? He was oh, a wow. soldier with my dad. Um, and... So he didn't. He didn't fight World War Two. He was. He was. I think he joined the army in nineteen forty eight, mm-hmm. nineteen forty seven, something along those lines. And he said that there's one thing that really annoyed him while he was watching Dunkirk. He said that not a single uh, English soldier that he ever met in his life had a haircut <laughs> like that. And all of them have these floppy, brill cream haircuts. And he said that wasn't something that was around back then. Like that's like you see it in movies all the time but most of them had a regular wow do you cut. mean that in world war 2 nobody looked like they walked out of one direction <laughs> you see yeah but it it happens it well yeah cuz it's how yeah. how says isn't it but um uh it's it's not it's just that it's the a lot of men would have had it in the time around london or whatever cuz like there's pictures of my dad mm-hmm. from the 40s with a big pompadour kind of style haircut and the the slicked across thing and slapping on all the brill cream or whatever but none of them in the army would have done it because how do you look yeah, after no. it while you're <laughs> like you're, you're walking through the 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 streets of paris getting shot at by germans yeah you can't like... carry all that cream with you that's not part of army rations <laughs> yeah nowadays you'd have some hipster soldiers going oh my god i have to make sure that i get my brill cream with me whereas back well what do people use is it Dax Wax now? People use I, I, don't, I, don't I don't know. know. I, but uh, but I for yeah. full disclosure, people you're who are listening, ladies, Ollie, Ollie. <laughs> Ollie does not. Ollie does not have the hair that requires some sort of waxing. I will say though, as a woman with curly hair who travels a decent amount abroad, um, really bringing out the hair product necessary to uh, maintain a complicated hairstyle that uh, that takes up a lot of space in your luggage. <laughs> Yeah, I imagine it does, and I imagine it does. I know for a fact it does, Sarah Decker. Um, so at this point, um, so Chris Pine, they manage to escape, and they look really like haggard or whatever, and they go off into hiding. Edward II wants to find them because that's what he was sent up to do. His dad specifically said, "Go up and kill him," and this is going to be uh, another example of a failure as far as far as his father is concerned. So um, he goes to the original Bruce household. And he's talking to Nigel and he's like, where are they? And Nigel's like, oh, I don't know where they are. I never saw them. What are you talking about? And they tried to run out the back. And obviously they'd sent soldiers around the back in the cotton to bring them back yeah. in. And for lying to him, um, Edward does the perfectly normal and natural thing that would have happened in the medieval times. He just disembowels him in front of the entire household. As you and do. I think he sets fire. He sets fire to the house as well. Oh, does he? I think. 
I think is that I I I think that's what happens. But it's been, you know it's been a few. Yeah, weeks there's a, there's a lot it. of shit getting like, caught I, on fire in this <laughs> movie. It's really hard to remember. Um, and as Sarah has reminded me here, uh, he had uh, Edward the Second has some sweet ass gold armor. He does. Yeah, I, I yeah, have to say the, uh... that as much as the stabbing earlier took me off guard, this was like way worse. <laughs> yeah, you see some guts in this. This scene. was like the most graphic disemboweling I've seen since Shaun of the Dead, which is a fucking zombie movie. Like this, yeah. this was just like entrails like slopping onto the floor, and I was like, Ugh. <laughs> <So>. hello, <laughs> hello entrails. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a real. Um... Like this is a a bad CGI mm. kind of move. Like I don't I don't know if it was CGI, but it has that look of. So for anyone who's ever watched like a medieval set fantasy movie, this is the kind of stuff that you'd see when a, a dragon's fang gets slashed across <laughs> somebody's stomach, and you're like, oh, there's there's some entrails falling out. Um, one thing about Edward in this scene is that he's constantly going, "You will respect me" in a really weird way that doesn't make any sense yeah there's this weird like sniveling kind of trying to prove his masculinity thing going on which feels honestly like a just slightly more veiled uh, essentially homophobic commentary on his masculinity than what we see in braveheart so i'm not a fan yeah it's it's not a good look no um so Marjorie gets taken, uh, and she gets sent to a nunnery, sent to a convent. Well, she's going to learn to be a nun, and uh, she gets thrown in. She's like, you, you respect me. The, the nuns aren't going to respect you. They're going to tell you to shut up. I um, am annoyed, honestly, that I think this scene between Elizabeth and Marjorie might technically pass the Bechdel test, and I feel like this movie is like so not great on gender that I'm almost annoyed that it manages to hit that bar. <laughs> um, Elizabeth is uh, told, um, her, I think, um, is it her dad who comes in? I think so. There are so yeah, many men. So, <laughs> yeah, so her dad would be the Earl of Ulster, um, Richard de Burke. Uh, Richard de, de, de Berg, uh, and he comes in and he says, please sign this. It's an annulment of the marriage. We'll set you up with a new family. And I actually genuinely thought this was a good scene because it looks like she's about to. And then you can see her weighing it over in her mind, which is she's, she. I think she genuinely comes to the conclusion that if she signs it, they're just going to kill her. Yeah, and she realizes that she realizes that if they feel threatened by her, that there has to be, like, Robert has to be winning. And, like, there's, like, just real, like, joy in her voice when she realizes that, like, he's alive and he's doing well. And, like, it, like, Florence Pugh is, like, really great at that. Like, you see that she's, like, so happy. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so happy for her. Even though this movie has done, like, nothing to earn me being happy for her. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, good for yeah. her. <laughs> yeah, so while this has happened, we get a couple of scenes of Robert de Bruce and his 12 men um, getting faced down by a bunch of Scottish men in the Highlands. And they finally get through. The Scottish men are like, no, we would literally cut you to pieces, but we're going to not do that right now. And you can tell they're like, this is a really tense moment. It's actually done quite well. Um, and then later on, um, actually, sorry, that was earlier. Those are the men who attacked them on, on the, the beach. Mm. 
So uh, they pass through and then they come through. So it's not the English, it's the other scholars who are aligned with the English who do that. Um, but then there's one where they go uh, out to islands. I'm assuming it's the Shetlands. Um, and they go out onto these islands and they ask the people on the islands to give them or to look after them. And they they stay there and rest to heal their wounds before going back and taking up gorilla And there's water. another like great moment from a woman that this movie like weirdly doesn't deserve but does anyway. But um, I think it's Angus is one of the men. But like they... they... Yeah, his, yeah, his they, ginger they friend. Land, <laughs> they land on the beach, and, like, Angus's wife runs up to him and is like, where the fuck have you been? And, like, she actually, like, <laughs> drops an F-bomb and is, like, you know, yelling at him that, like, he was gone for, like, four months instead of, like, four weeks. And I was like, that was another moment where it was like, you don't really get women, like, being allowed to be vulgar in, like, movies in general, not just, like, you know, period pieces. So I was like, okay, like, this and the premature ejaculation joke earlier, like, just deserve a little <laughs> bit of respect. <laughs> yeah, it's like, alright, like, I, good, I, good for yeah. you. I think, no, I, I could definitely be wrong. Um, I think that actor who plays Angus, the red-haired lad, is Will Scarlet in the Robin Hood with, um, uh, what's his name? Russell Crowe. Uh, we, we covered it. Robin Crowe. Uh, uh, Russell Crowe. <laughs> yeah, Robin, Robin Crowe. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think he's playing Will Scarlet in that movie. Oh, I cannot yeah, picture so either of them. So I'll take your word for yeah, it. He's just like a a skinny yet wiry looking. I I enjoyed okay. looking over the cast list for this movie because like you have some like the names that we named before, but like none of the names we mentioned are like you have like the regular like English actors, and then you get into like. Mick Ardle, Mick Dougal, Mick, you know, like, and then, like, they, they had to get, like, the, like, the <laughs> yeah. requisite, like, Scottish actors, and so they, like, pulled in, like, five of them, and they're, like, really stereotypically Scottish names. Look, <laughs> <laughs> like we found them. Uh, and we, so they're, they're constantly going around uh, killing Scottish people and more, or sorry, killing English people, and more and more of the uh, Scots are joining them because they want to get their hand at killing the, the English, and they take to killing people in churches. That's which how they got like started. Definitely not what they're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, um, but they seem to really enjoy it, and uh, and it's good because they're getting loads of people in it. And then I'm gonna let uh, Sarah and um, Tracy talk about the next little bit where Robert takes a bath in the river. <laughs> yep, Robert the Bruce takes a bath in the river, and you very briefly catch a slight glimpse in the distance. <laughs> Of Chris Pine's Do you mean, as I said before, the scene that I completely missed when I must have looked at my laptop for like two minutes? <laughs> yeah, it's like, so, you know, as I said before, like, I'm okay not seeing Chris Pine's dick. Like, that's fine. I don't mind that I didn't get a great shot of Chris Pine's dick. But for as much as they talked about Chris Pine's dick, I expected more than a slightly blurry distance shot for approximately two seconds. Yeah, it was like 85% of the press for this movie, and it was so, like, minuscule that I yeah. looked away and missed it. Like, that's how, like... Yeah, it's like, really? Was. That that was it? Yeah. Like... That's it's some, a, that's it's some a blink and you miss it. This is some poor choice of words for both of you. It's like, it was so minuscule, I missed it. And... Oh, that's all it was? For the, like, for the record, when I said it was so to, minuscule, I realized as I was saying it that that was a poor choice of words. Uh, I, what I genuinely thought was going to happen, you know when they were having sex for the first time? I thought it was going to be like a full on yeah. my penis going in. And then, and then I'm like, I can see, I can see, no, I didn't see his dick. And then it's like literally, I'm in the water and I think. And when you think about it as well, 
it's really gratuitous. Yeah, like one of the yeah. one of the first like nude scenes that I can recall with a lot of clarity is um when I was twelve, Orlando Bloom was in Troy, and he has this like new like this sex scene and. You see him, but, but like, it's not the sex scene, but it's, like, he's standing up, and it's, like, you see him, like, completely naked from the torso, but, like, where his dick would be is just, like, completely, like, blocked, like, out of the shot. So, like, they managed to block, like, his crotch area, and then you just see, like, the rest of him, and that obviously made an impression on young Tracy. And, like, you know, and, and, like, that's one of the first scenes I can remember, and, like, I could have seen them doing, like, something like that, but, like, you said, like, full frontal, and, like, that just didn't happen. And, like, if they wanted to get their point across that, like, he's a man, and, like, this is his dick, like, they could have easily done that, and they did not. <laughs> so... But it was just weird that it wasn't yeah. in the sex scene. It's like, like, why do I need the like, naked bath scene be, at no, all? Like, like, we could have just skipped that entire scene. That scene was 100%. only there to they, show us Chris Pine's and they dick. Try- it's a hundred percent. That's it. It's like, here, take a look at this guy's dick. He was he signed off to say they, that we like, could do tried, it. So we might as well put it in. They tried in the early press to like defend it. Like they were trying to say, like, this is an important scene to like show his like masculinity and his power. And if I can find like one of those articles, I'll like definitely send it to you guys. But like, they really tried. Like because it got so much attention, like on the festival circuit, there's definitely just like entire interviews devoted to defending why his dick was in this movie. <laughs> so. <laughs> but, yeah, like the first, it, that's really the first oh, thing I heard about this movie was honestly that uh, I guess I think actually uh, our former guest Don Gildenmeister and uh, her husband Benjamin White were watching. I guess like I don't know an interview on some late night talk show with Chris Pine, mm-hmm. and she just messaged me and she's like, "Oh, have you watched the movie with Chris Pine's dick?" Yet? <laughs> yeah, because that's what the entire interview was about. Yeah, it was. <laughs> That's all it's it, like, ever going to be about, about. Like the press wasn't about the movie at all. It was just about no. his dick. <laughs> like it was so sad. <laughs> but we've probably committed as much time to talking about his dick as anything else in this movie as well. <laughs> and and it's just because it's so random. Like, like obviously I was uh, talking about being a prude earlier, and I'm I'm not against flashes in movies. Like I I what did I watch recently? Um, so there's a movie called mm-hmm. The Raid. Right, I'm familiar. Is, you know, uh, a heart. Yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. Now, there's a scene in that where one of the dudes is getting changed, right? And you're like, he's getting changed. It would be like if that happened in that movie, like this action movie, which has <laughs> nothing to do with uh, right. naked men. And then so he's like, now I'm naked. Here's my dick. I'm gonna have a fight. Like, this is the it's it, it would it's as gratuitous as the description I'm giving. It's like, what's the point? It's like. Here we have a naked man. He's a big, strong, tough dude. We're also going to show you his dick for a second. And then he's going to, like, then the next scene is not connected to it. I genuinely, like, if it was in a sex scene and it was there, and you're like, fine. Yeah. This makes perfect sense. But at the same time, if you watch something like Excalibur, um, which I'm assuming we're going to do for the the podcast in the future. There's so much gratuitous naked ladies in those in that movie. But then the dude that, has sex in full armor. <laughs> in full, and the dude has sex in full armor. So it's just like I, it, it's great to see some sort yeah. of readdressing of the balance. Yeah, um, it really is. And so I, I'm not going to begrudge the movie for doing that. I just wish that it hadn't been focused on like this is a major thing. And if it were going to focus on this major thing, 
actually yeah, have like, context to it as opposed yeah. to here's an yeah, like I was gonna, I was and, gonna say yeah. like if it has to be nudity, like I would much rather it be male nudity, but like either like right. show it all the way or like don't bother, I guess. Like if Right, you know. yeah. And like I will say, like, you know, to some extent like good for them for, you know, doing male full frontal nudity when like female full frontal nudity is almost the norm and male full frontal nudity is very rare. Yeah. Like, hey, good for them. Mm for doing something different with that. And I know to but... I know that like to agree like to a degree I think he's really okay with it because I think he basically said in Wonder Woman that like in Wonder Woman like there are scenes where they just like treat him like a piece of meat and he was like fine with that. <laughs> and like I think he's like really aware that like you know he's going to get looked at at look, looked at in that way and I don't think he's like offended by it. Like which is good. Like cr- like kudos to him for like being okay with that. But at the same time it's like why was that even there? So Yeah. Yeah. I did, the other thing about it as well is I don't think a scene like that needs to like when people you were saying people are defending it, it's like it's a real sign of his masculinity and stuff like this. I don't think a scene like that needs like a lot of movies I've seen where, which have sex scenes in it. A lot of times straight after sex scene, like you were talking yeah. about the Orlando Bloom scene, right? Like when you actually look at the imagery of that, it's Orlando Bloom. I know the scene you're talking about because <laughs> I really like the movie Troy, right? So Alanda Bloom has sex with, with Helen, right? And he gets up and he walks away. She's lying exhausted on the bed and he's walking around showing off his magnificent <laughs> body, right? And it's, but it, like, genuinely, it's a real look at me and how much of a yeah. man I am at yeah. this moment, right? It's the same with Brad Pitt. There's a scene in this, uh, like, I think it's maybe about five minutes after that in the movie where Brad Pitt is lying in bed and, yeah, and he's like to fully wake him nude, up. Yeah. And he's fully nude and there's two women with him who are still asleep mm. because, and the implication is that Achilles is getting up and going off the war. These two women who don't have to do anything are still so <laughs> tired from what he'd done to them the night before that they're going to sleep through a battle. And it's just, it's one of those moments where you're like, yeah, it's great. I get to see Brad Pitt's uh, amazing torso. He really obviously worked out for this movie, but do we need to have this implication that this man is so manly that the women have to sleep on. And that's, so that's when, when people are defending the Chris Pine scene as it's a sign of his masculinity. That's just more of the same problem that there's been yeah. in medieval movies and fantasy right. movies. Yeah. And there's like ways years. to yeah. illustrate masculinity that like aren't literally waving your dick around. <laughs> and also like, okay, if this scene is about his masculinity, I feel like the dick wasn't really impressive enough <laughs> to have accomplished that. Oh my like, god! You barely Sarah see it. Now, I because you're an expert in this, we've already established our, our difference of religions. Did you check out whether Chris Pine was cooked? You really can't see well enough. <laughs> but I, 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 didn't you say you got the special HD uh, 4K TV and you paused it just to make sure? No, I did not. <laughs> I could, not okay, tell, so, I could not tell from that blurry glimpse I think, uh, whether or not he's I think that we've talked about his dick like 30 times the amount that it's actually in the movie. <laughs> we definitely have. <laughs> so, um, we then move on. So, we get to, to see a glimpse of his dick. Did we mention his dick? <laughs> uh, but <laughs> we get to see a glimpse of uh, Chris Pine's penis, uh, Richard, <laughs> Richard de Bruce. And... Um, and then we move on to uh, the Battle at Loudon Hill, which is when 
the English and the Scottish meet and it's pretty much going to be the, the decisive battle. He's been going around doing his guerrilla tactics and building up an army of the disenfranchised Scottish. And because he's having victories, more and more of the people who had just turned their backs on him earlier in the movie are now joining him. Um, if you were to believe Braveheart, all he had to do was walk up to him and say, do this for William Wallace. <laughs> in this movie, they don't talk about William Wallace. Or, do this for my love, William Wallace. They don't even throw uh, one don't... sword inexplicably across the battlefield. <laughs> I really wanted to see that. I wanted to see a sword get thrown and then just land. Right. But... um. So he's gone around collecting them. Uh, Edward I dies at this battle and uh, Sarah said that um, it's basically he dies of dysentery. So he crapped himself to death. Yep. Take that long shits. I mean, long shakes. Um, hammer of the shits. So, <laughs> hammer of the shits. Uh, so Edward II takes over and he doesn't bother, like Sarah said, he doesn't bother to tell anybody. Um, he just kind of walks out and now I'm in charge and everyone seems to understand that that's how it's going to go. Um, and... Robert de Bruce uh, tricks the British into attacking them on, first of all, stodgy ground, so the horses wouldn't have been able to get up to full speed. And then, second of all, they used the uh, the large spears that was seen in Braveheart to kill a lot of them. And then when the soldiers fall to the ground and when the enemy infantry come in, they can't move as fast or as well as they can. And the Scottish men are able to basically cut them to pieces. And they start the English start to retreat. And then for some reason, Edward II decides to come running forward at Robert and have a duel with I him. I hate this scene. I I believe you <laughs> love this scene. Is that not how you said no. it before? Like, so this is, again, this, like, it's this weird, like, him trying to prove his masculinity thing. And it feels very much like, look at masculine Robert the Bruce and his penis. And now look at, like, failure of masculinity, Edward II. And, you know, given the fact that reportedly Edward II may have been gay, it just felt really gross. Well, you can tell he was gay because we don't see his <laughs> penis in this movie. <laughs> That's true. If you don't see him having a penis and or fucking a woman, then how would you know he's not gay? Or berating just... a gay man like Edward I does. <laughs> so just for, for those of you who haven't seen it, um, if you're listening... Um, he attacks Robert and loses, even though it's basically the same repeat of the fight we had at the very beginning. Um, Robert um, knocks him down, takes his sword off and kicks it away. And then Edward is basically sniveling and crawling around on his back and still shouting like for respect and like, I am calling for people to come and help him. I'm the king, I'm the king. And it's like, come on, there's no need to do this. Like, it's... I am a hundred percent certain this did not happen. It didn't. Um. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then even if it had have happened, once Robert has beaten him, he lets him go. He just yes. like go back yeah. to your and, army. I mean, it's nice that he didn't kill him, but like these people have your wife and daughter, and in reality, also like several other of his relatives hostage. Keep the dude and trade him. It's just like to make Robert look like unnecessarily like magnanimous like he spares them like look what a good guy like again after like oh he didn't rape his wife look what a good guy like so yeah <laughs> but like then it's what like it dumb because really... it's like oh cool I'm just gonna let this guy go and like fuck my wife who's still like in it, hanging in a cage somewhere <laughs> but it's the exact same thing as as um, William Wallace in Braveheart 
who on two separate occasions trusts the other Scottish nobles not to walk off on them on the battlefield. So the first time it happens, he's like, oh, shocked or whatever. And then in the climactic battle, the exact same thing happens. And you're like, how did you fall for it again? <laughs> Fooled me twice. And that's Shame what on the, me. But that's what's happening here. He lets Edward II Why? just walk off. Because, Sarah, like, tell me what would have happened if, let's just say this duel had have happened and he beats him and Edward II's lying on his back. What would have happened if Robert Bruce had have cut the head off the King of England? I mean, if he'd cut the head off the King of England, well, honestly, that's a good question because I'd have to double check. I'm actually not sure at that point who the heir to the English throne would have been. But see, what, I, what I'm imagining at that point is that they would have had a war of succession. Yeah. Because he's the only son of Edward, isn't he? I'd have to double check that. I'm not 100% yeah. sure that's the case. I'm not, I'm not 100% certain either, but I think he might have been. So at that point, then you're looking at cousins who are all putting forth claims to the crown. So the best possible scenario for him in this is cut the head off him and then let the English sort themselves out. I mean, or, I mean, if he wants to be, like, chivalrous and magnanimous, he could not cut off his head, but take him prisoner, and then say, okay, I get to dictate all of the terms now, because I've got... (laughs) Dictate. (laughs) I get to decide all of the terms now, because I have your king. Yeah, or cut his hands and feet off. No, wait, sorry, that's probably bad. Jamie Lannister Uh, style. Jimmy Lannister's like, uh, yeah, I just, even if he did cut his head off, he could just say we were under the dragon yeah. banner when it happened. Right. Because that's like literally the dragon banner is in the background in that scene. So Yeah. So he really like, makes the worst possible choice of what to do with that. Just letting him walk, letting him walk off is just ridiculous. Yeah. Also, he goes walking off. If I was some enterprising random Scottish soldier on the battlefield, I'm going to cut his <laughs> yeah, head off. Yeah, seriously. I think we, we didn't even mention the, the fully mention the cage, did we? We just mentioned it before, but I don't think we mentioned it the first time. Oh, God. Yeah. You mean Elizabeth's cage? All right, we'll get to that because this is just what I think. So uh, he lets Edward, that's the end of the, the main storyline between the Scottish and the English. The Scottish win. And then we get our epilogue. And the epilogue starts with... Uh, Chris Pine coming down on a horse onto this beautiful, pristine, perfect beach. And then that I guess he owns and no one else, else is allowed to be on. It's so weird. It's so large. And it's I have no idea what's going on. And then another horse comes up at the far end and drops his wife off. And as Tracy just mentioned, his wife had been kept in a cage for the last unknown amount of time. But I can't imagine that entire... Uh, campaign didn't take at least a year to two years yeah so um well we'll we'll get to more about the accuracy of this in uh, a subsequent section but first of all just a couple of notes the epilogue begins eventually elizabeth got released there's actually text that goes across the screen uh eventually by the way is seven years after that battle whoa (laughs) she was in that cage for seven years we'll, we'll get to the question of the cage but based on this movie Yes, apparently. Um, yeah, yoga with Adrienne has nothing on her. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Like, how would you... 
That's right. Uh, what happened to Marjorie, do we know? Um, I think she was released at about the same time as Elizabeth. Uh, not that we would know that from this movie, because at this point they'd clearly just forgotten and she they, existed. And they throw in, like, the clunkiest line where, like, they, like, mention Marjorie, like, just to establish that he didn't, like, completely forget about his daughter. <laughs> Right, but in this, like, cinematic, like, the two of them running to each other across a beach scene, it's like, hey, hey, where's where's my daughter? <laughs> oh, shit, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, and there's, I, I mentioned it when I messaged you guys, but there's um the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, when it's in the States, has this, like, ending that's very, like, 16 candles like that's literally what it's styled after where like elizabeth and darcy are like outside like kneeling on like a balcony in pemberley and they like are making out and he's saying like you know when i'm like in love with you i'll call you like mrs darcy and it's like this really like tacky romantic ending that like people (laughs) are super bothered by and like i don't like it doesn't really bother me that of course they did for the american yeah like it doesn't really bother me in that way i don't really like you know get like prissy about it in that way like even like even when it's Jane Austen, but like here, I saw this scene and immediately was just like, "What the fuck is this?" Like it's just like this, yeah. like this so like tacked on romantic ending. Like it really feels like they screened it for like test audiences and it ended at the battle and people were like, "But what about his wife?" And they were like, "Oh shit!" And they had to like film this like romantic ending to like tie it all up. Like it feels like it's from a yeah. completely the... different movie. It's so random. <laughs> this. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. And Sarah, you'd probably remember this because um, we watched this together as well. In Mission Impossible 3, mm-hmm. right, there's this mad, crazy running scene through the streets of a third world country. And then his wife saves him at the end. And then he has to finally come clean and admit that he's an international spy. Right. And then it cuts back to him in the IMF offices. And it's him and his wife walking hand in hand down a corridor, waving at everybody. So it's like it's been like this mad crazy action movie and it finishes with a Disney ending of <laughs> them walking down and everyone saying, Goodbye, Ethan, goodbye, goodbye, Jenny. Have fun on your honeymoon. Have fun on your honeymoon. That's exactly what it is. Have fun, guys. Yeah, and so that was a really like dumb is in an office. And you're like, what is going on? And that's what this is like. Um as for the Pride and Prejudice movie, uh, uh for those Americans listening. Um, so you guys got that sappy ending. In Europe, we got the uh, hyper-masculine ending where uh, Matthew McFadden's Darcy just stands up and says, here's my dick. <laughs> just, just wait. Just, it's, just, it's only there for a second, but you know he's a man. Like, it's, like, it's, it's brilliant. Oh, such silly, silly stuff. Um, but that's the, end of, uh, that's the end of Outlaw King. So it is. And now we move on to our next section. Which I cannot wait for this. This might be for uh, our our avid listeners. This might be the longest set of Vera <laughs> It Falso that Sarah has ever prepared for us. So I'm just going to sing in and then sit back and get educated for the next several hours as Sarah tells us what the movie got right and what the movie got wrong in the section we call Vera It Falso. You did that one really well. I, so you really better. shouldn't replace it. Definitely replacing. So, Sarah, what did this movie get very? So, um, this movie actually did fairly well on a decent amount of things, but there's a couple of things I wanted to especially highlight. 
so first of all, just a quick, I just wanted to give some respect quickly to uh, our poor nameless English queen, <laughs> Margaret of France. Um, although she does go completely unnamed and ignored and never speaks. Uh, she did, in fact, accompany her husband on several Scottish campaigns, so her physical presence is accurate, though in real life she might have spoken or been referred to by name. <laughs> um, uh, also, while I could not find the exact age of this particular actress just by eyeballing the two characters, I think they did get about right the charming approximately 40-year age difference between Edward and his second wife. <laughs> Uh, Edward's second wife is 40 years older. Younger. No, I'm joking. <laughs> he was which so also old. definitely makes her like younger than his son, which also, again, like looking at the actors, at least like looks about right, which is <laughs> charming. Um, I also wanted to highlight the church stabbing episode. Um, so Robert really did stab John Coman before the altar in the church. And there's actually a big debate about exactly how this went down. So the Scottish sources are basically what this movie is basing it on. So the idea that the whole thing was kind of sort of an accident or at least a kind of like sudden panic move or something like that. Whereas the English sources who are trying to make Robert look bad say that he lured John into this church under the assumption that he would be, you know, protected by laws of sanctuary and then, you know, premeditated stabbed him. Um, so, you know, obviously we don't know for sure, which is true. Both sides certainly had an interest in portraying it the way they portrayed it. Um, Robert really was excommunicated. What this movie interestingly does not say is that he got excommunicated because Edward I actually wrote the Pope and said, excommunicate this guy. Um, no yeah, which I feel like they should have included because I feel like that's cool. Um, yeah, that is pretty good. Although I imagine then that would have really showed them how much time had passed in the movie. Right. Because like nobody's going to believe like, Get this letter to the Pope. All oh, right, get FedEx in here. We and Edward just Edward just got the Pope on the phone real fast. Yeah, and I, I think I I think I said this off well, mic, but to say it on the podcast, one of the problems I had with this movie was that um, they don't actually establish how much time passes in this movie. And like you know, when you look at Wikipedia, it clearly outlines everything like two years later, like this, this, and this, because someone actually obviously sat down with the timeline and figured like, oh, okay, this is when this would have happened. But in this movie, like for all you know, this movie could take place over like a month. Like they don't establish how much time passes at all ever. Yeah, so. they really don't. So yeah, it could be a month. It's something like I don't know, seven years yeah. maybe. I I've forgotten now exactly what it was, but it's a pretty lengthy span of time, and that's very not clear. <laughs> Um, but anyway, the other thing is that, uh, him being unexcommunicated by the local bishops, uh, you know, whose authority to do that was a bit questionable, but we'll move on from that. Um, wasn't so much that there was this kind of quid, uh, quid pro quo. It was really just that the Bishop of Glasgow was a longstanding hardcore supporter of Scottish independence from England and was buddies with Robert the Bruce. Always good to have a bishop in your corner. <laughs> It's always good to have a bishop in your corner. It's even better to have a bishop in their corner because you've just taken a rook. But that's a different thing altogether. So, um, Sarah, please tell me more about the Feast of the Stars. Yes. So, this was a thing where they had a feast with a bunch of like live swans wandering around and then they killed and ate some of them. 
Um, so this was in 1306, and Edward I used this as an opportunity to knight 267 men, which, as it happens, includes uh, his son, the future Edward II. And, fun fact, Edward's current uh, favorite, who he may or may not have been sleeping with, uh, Piers Gaveston, and his future favorite, who he may or may not have been sleeping with, Hugh Desponsay. Um, Wait, you've talked about these people before, uh, yes, Sarah. Yes, on Braveheart. Uh, these are what allowed Isabella to basically get really get the hump and her and her son came back to to take over again. Yeah, that one of the thing one of the ways she was probably able to win out is that basically as all of the lords were annoyed at the extent to which Edward was giving favoritism to at that time Hugh Desponsay. And mm. so that's why they basically like backed her in this. So are swans a thing? Like, are they seen as a lucky bird for some reason? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember, actually, the exact symbolism of swans. They they really like birds. <laughs> a lot of birds have symbolism. They're, they're really into they, they birds. They liked them so much they had to kill a bunch of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you know, I mean, it's not like, pel- like pelicans are Jesus, so, like, pelicans <laughs> are special. But other than that, like... Sorry, wait, wait. Back wait. up. <laughs> Pelicans are Jesus. Let's just let's just go back here again. Now I know I I we've just talked about this before. We've already mentioned this podcast. We come from a different religion and stuff. But please explain to me again how Jesus is a yeah. Pelican. So now now I'm just explaining your religion to you. Um, <laughs> That's what I mean. I need to know. So symbolically, according to a number of medieval texts. Uh, the pelican was uh, a metaphorical representation of Jesus, uh, basically because they were a little off on how pelicans worked <laughs> and were under the impression that pelicans pierced their own breasts and fed their uh, infant little pelican babies their blood. Oh, my God. Like Jesus. <laughs> I love that they were just a little bit off on how pelicans work. <laughs> That's exactly how pelicans work. What are we talking about? It's it's. I can't imagine it being any any different to this. Um, yeah, swans are swans are associated with uh, with the she over here in Ireland, like the the old religion as we were called. Um, and it's it's sort of associated with gods. Uh, so, for example, even the children of Lear got turned into swans, and they were a king's children who got who got punished, and they were like these beautiful creatures. And then he was going around killing them and eating them. Hmm. So he was actually inadvertently eaten his own children which is like a, just a weird story yeah. but um, yeah there i think it's like even now at this point i think it's a the famous story or the famous anecdote that the only people allowed to eat swans in england are the royal family mm. so like it, they're seen as the queens or whatever who happens to be in charge so it's the queen at the moment but the queens all they she owns all the swans in england <laughs> and nobody else is allowed to touch hmm. them which is strange because Deep down, I kind of want to know what a swan tastes like. <laughs> like, it's only when you realize you can't eat a swan that you realize you really want to. I want, that's exactly it. So you want what you cannot have. Yeah. Also, I just checked, apparently sailors in the Middle Ages considered the sighting of a swan to be auspicious. <laughs> and also the song that it sings before, right before it dies is the sweetest of all. So uh, the, the, the swan swans song. really should have sang a really great song <laughs> before they run their nests. Uh, these people must be listening to different swans than me because I've been <laughs> beside swans. I've spent my entire life beside swans and it's all hissing and... <laughs> 
It's also a shout out to uh, my fellow medievalists. They will also be familiar with swans as making not super nice noises, though maybe if they died, they'd make better ones. Um, the, uh, the big medieval conference every year is held in Kalamazoo, Michigan, on the campus of Western Michigan University. And there are swans that live there. And every year, at least one medievalist, I think, has like a little bit of a run in where they're genuinely at least worried they're going to get attacked by a swan. I've always heard that swans are assholes. I have to say. Oh, swans are huge dicks. <laughs> <laughs> swans are definitely not Chris Pines. <laughs> They're huge dicks. Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I said I've grown up with swans all my life. Uh, as long as you, you you stay away from swans, swans stay away from you. Um, there's a, I tell you one thing is people always go swans are so strong they could break your leg or break your arm with a single swipe of their wing. Bull <laughs> shit. If you have your arm broken by a swan's wing then you, my friend, need to go to a doctor and talk to him about your vitamin D deficiency because it's just simply not true. If the, When they're flying, sure, yeah. When they're taking off, maybe they'll generate it. But if you're standing and a swan swings its wing at you, it's not going to break your arm and you're going to get it and do a King Edward II on it. You're just going to wring that thing's neck. It's got a neck that's seven foot long. Like You, you can get it by that neck. We can all take down swans. Yeah. Right? Last... Last podcast I recorded, uh, I was talking about taking down uh, dolphins. Let's all take down swans. Take them down. It can be our 2019 New Year's resolutions, everybody, because we're recording this in, in the early part of January. Let's take down the swans. I also just love that you, you, I love that you have in your notes that the king swore before God and the swans to avenge the death of Coleman. Like, I just like that it's like before God and also the birds that like are dead now, like and have no consciousness. <laughs> yeah, I've forgotten these birds that I yeah. Like, I, um, I because he does say something like, "I swear by these birds." Yeah. So the uh, so the actual line was, "I swear before God and the swans." Uh, and in real life, that was actually an Edward the First move, not an Edward the Second. I, I just really like that the swans are like equal, like to God. It's like before God and God also the swans. And the swans. <laughs> do you do you think uh, they asked um, Stephen Delane or Stephen Delane <laughs> to do it? And he was like, no, I'm no. not fucking doing that. I'm no, Stannis Baratheon. I'm Baratheon. <laughs> okay, uh, sir. Can you tell me about the bombing of Stirling Castle? Because uh, this sounds like something that they couldn't possibly have made up. They kind of, they well, they kind of did and they kind of didn't. So what we see in the movie is that Edward, after they've already surrendered, decides to pretty much just destroy the castle. Uh, he uses not only a very large trebuchet, but also has in it a... Um, a missile, you know, lit with Greek fire. So which is a kind of probably mostly legendary, though maybe existing to some extent in the Byzantine Empire, though its effects probably slightly exaggerated. Um, but some kind of, you know, <laughs> chemical fire um, uh, was, you know, used to light the missile. And basically it kind of looks like they bombed the castle and like most of the castle kind of goes down. Um, mm. So there was, in fact, an interest on the part of Edward I in making a demonstration of his new siege engine, which was called Warwolf. And which is a badass name. Um, that is yeah, and so it's just basically just like a really big trebuchet. Um, so he did use it on the castle after the Scots had surrendered. But first of all, there's no Greek fire because nobody in the West had the faintest idea what to do with Greek fire or how to make Greek fire in the 14th century or in any other period. 
Um, yeah, they still don't know now. It's weird. Yeah, like this is a thing that specifically um, would have been known in the Byzantine Empire. Like they did not very and very specifically, they did not want those Westerners to find that shit out, and they didn't. Um, so that's part of it. And then also, uh, werewolf uh, really probably only destroyed the gatehouse, so like right kind of at the front of the castle. Which makes a lot of sense, given that now that he's conquered this area, he would want that castle to remain basically usable. So he wouldn't have wanted to basically just bomb the castle out of existence, which is what it kind of looks like in this movie. Uh, Yeah, so, um, yeah, you definitely wouldn't want to just destroy one of your strategic places. So, Sarah, we've talked about what they got right. We've talked about what they got a little bit right. Can you... Or do we have time? Mm. But can you tell us what does the movie get wrong? Yeah, so uh, I'll you know, so I'll do a couple of big things. Uh, so first of all, you already have talked about on a number of occasions, and we've talked about this in other episodes of the podcast, the issue of uh, modern feminists and medieval movies. So I'll just mention that again quickly, but move on from it. Um, I think the big thing, one of the big things I wanted to highlight is that I don't think it does a great job with the relationship between Edward I and Edward II. So I would say really both Braveheart and Outlaw King pretty dramatically exaggerate the extent to which these two just hated each other. Um, so they do have occasional conflicts. There's issues with money. Um, Edward I was not especially happy with Edward's relationship with and favoritism toward Piers Gaveston. But there's no particular reason to think that Edward was anywhere near this militarily incompetent or that Edward I was really quite so disappointed in his heir. Like, there's really no reason to think he just basically straight up hated his son. Um, so I wanted to mention that. Uh, second, I did just want to note that Edward I actually dies about two months after the Battle of Loudon Hill instead of two months, instead of right before. And Edward II, not in addition to obviously not having had this ridiculous duel with Robert the Bruce, was not even at this battle. He was in London and only came to Scotland after hearing of his father's death. So, yeah. So they're not not great on Edward I or Edward II. Um, and the other than big thing that I wanted to highlight is Elizabeth's imprisonment and release. So, as yeah. we've talked about a couple of times... She, she was in prison. She was imprisoned. She was not in a hanging exposure cage. <laughs> However, the hanging exposure cage does not come from nowhere. So Elizabeth herself was held in house arrest in Yorkshire, which, you know, probably wasn't fun, but it wasn't that bad. And that makes Mm. sense because, you know, not only was she a big deal, but Edward was buddies with her dad, who, regardless of his political affiliations, is not going to love the idea of his daughter being put in the exposure cage. So the person who actually got put in the exposure cage is Robert's sister, Mary, who got cut out of this movie because, God forbid, we have three women. I, I'm i not sure if she got cut out. I think she's with Nigel. When? So, you know when they come to get um, Elizabeth and... Sorry, this sounds like I'm well acting. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to cut this out, right? Um, I don't think... Uh, I think that's her. There's another woman in the grounds of the castle with them who tells uh, what's-his-face that they don't know where she is or they don't know where they are. I think that's his sister. That's, so that's not Nigel's wife. So I think that that's makes, the sister. Since she has no name and they never say she's, that definitely that, doesn't that, count. That makes yeah, the fourth because, woman in this movie. 
Hey. Yeah, but that's what, that's what I'm saying. The reason I'm saying that is because when the news comes of Nigel's death, it's Nig- It's like your brother and your sister are dead. Oh. If that makes sense. Okay. Right? So that's what I think. So I think that woman. So she's a tall woman in the scene and she's just kind of standing there and that's the thing. But I'm, I'm not going to cut this out. But you can still say that she's not in the movie. I just thought I was like, the first thing that popped into my head is because I was looking up this exact same thing. It was like, didn't he have sisters? Because they definitely talk about his sisters in Braveheart. Right. So it's like, didn't he have sisters? And it was like, yeah, her sister, his sister, um, Margaret or Mary, whatever it happens to be, is in, it's like, so she's in the castle up in like the hereditary home. Okay. She never got married off. Right. So she's yeah. the one who so, got stuck in this hanging cage for like six years or something like that. That's nuts. How would, like, your back would be, like, you'd never stand straight again. No, oh, I mean, see, I I feel really bad. But when bad. you get released, your dress will be pristine, and it will also fit exactly the same as it did, if not better, <laughs> before you got it put in the cage. And your hair is going to look amazing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, Yeah, so she was in that cage for, I guess, actually, yeah, about four years, I think. Because I think uh, they ended up releasing all at about the same time. Uh, Elizabeth and Mary and Robert's daughter Marjorie, which is I think in thirteen fourteen. Um, so that's the mm. thing too. And in general, we've talked a couple of times about the fact that this movie is like very vague about the timeline and really elides a lot of things together. So it makes her period of imprisonment seem pretty brief. In reality, it was eight years in total. That yeah. is crazy. yeah, because she she literally looks. Not like they didn't even bother to put any sort of aging makeup on her. No, so you know they really just kind of move along. And they're like, oh, yep, she's good. She's now she's out. So, but yeah, she would have been you know in prison essentially, although you know under house arrest and on the cage for eight years. Um, the other thing I wanted to note is that uh, as lovely and romantic as our cinematic scene on the beach is, hostage exchanges are complicated and have a lot of mechanics. And a very important part of them is the constant physical control of the hostages. You don't just, like, dump the hostage on the beach. You, like, pretty much physically hand over one hostage and get another hostage back. Yeah, I also imagine that the king doesn't go down and collect one himself, even if it is his wife, and doesn't go (laughs) running along a beach where there could be anybody with... Uh, bows and arrows in the trees to just shoot him. Like it's it's not impossible that the king himself could have been there. I actually I was having trouble finding that many details about that in particular. I would have had to delve just a little bit deeper in terms of actually finding that. Um, uh, so I'm not sure if he actually in particular was there. It's not totally outside the realm of possibility that he could have been. Um, but as I said, like it's like very careful, and if it and if he is there, it's definitely not just him. It's like him and a small army to make sure somebody yeah. doesn't just, you know, shoot him. Um, he also, by the way, in reality, did eventually get back his daughter in the same hostage exchange, I believe. And fun fact, the Stuart monarchy, who eventually became kings of England um, and reunited the two kingdoms, uh, are her descendants. Ah. Excellent. So, one last thing you've written down here. Could you tell us about all the women, independent women, uh, throwing <laughs> their hands up in the air in medieval movies? 
Yeah, that was definitely the other thing that irritated me is that I feel like Elizabeth spends like a ton of time just really being like, look, like I'm just as good as all these men. Like, look how like brave and equal I am. And like, not that there aren't some like pretty badass medieval noble women, but the way in which she talks about herself and the way in which she presents herself as a, an equal to men and makes no effort to do otherwise, especially, you know, even coming into a situation where she very much initially would have been at something of a disadvantage and that she's kind of coming into this place where she doesn't necessarily have a lot of allies. Um, it seems very unrealistic to me. Hmm. Yeah, and one thing that makes me laugh is um, I mentioned earlier there's a scene where um, Robert wants to talk to his brothers, and so he sends her out of the room. And, like, first off, like, later he apologizes to her for sending yeah, her out of the no. room. Yeah, no. Like, I'm, I'm not... I'm not sure that would have happened, but okay. Like, I, I do get really annoyed when people are like, that never would have happened, because, like, I'm sure there were, like, people that, like, maybe would have. I just don't think it was very likely. Wait, hold, but hold then, on like, a second. She... But this is a guy who didn't rape her on her wedding night. <laughs> of course he would have apologized. Yeah. And then, like, she, she has, like, this really great line about how she's, like done all this reading and you know and you know and and she like you know she is you know expected to be a political figure and like she she has this like I, this line about how like she's like done all this reading and she's like come to form like her own ideas of like men in power but like that's a speech that like i don't think she would have got further than like two words into without being told like shut up and right it's like it's just like it's it, it's like a great speech like in general but like would it have happened no. I don't yeah so. so i feel like there are a lot of mo of those moments in this movie yeah and i i mentioned this when we were messaging yesterday it's um i almost wonder if it's like kind of on the director because like it is absolutely on the script too but um the director did a, a prior movie with chris pine i alluded to earlier a really great like modern western called uh hell or high water and um Chris Pine and Ben Foster are brothers that their house is uh, going to be like foreclosed on by the bank so they go and like rob the branches of the bank to like get the money back and everything and it's this really like great movie but it's a modern movie and like this is as far as I'm aware this is the director's first period piece and I, I sort of wondered if he was having trouble like adjusting to the yeah. genre because a lot of the like a lot of the things about this movie just feel like it's a, just a very modern sensibility and it's the same it's a lot of the same themes of hell or high water there's a lot of you know masculinity and power in hell or high water it's you know money this is the crown but it's it's like a lot of the same themes but it just still feels too modern and outlaw yeah. king and I just wondered if, like, part of that was just because, like, he's not used to making a historical film. Although I do think that a lot of it is the script. And another thing I said off mic was that there was... This got cut down after the festival circuit. I think it was originally, like, two and a half hours. And now it's, like, just, like, a minute over two. So they definitely lost, like, half an hour because I think it got criticized for being, like, a little bit muddled. But there's also a rumored, like four hour cut of this movie somewhere that's like and so like, much out lucky there's nothing yeah there's like nothing about this movie that i think would have been fixed by having no. a movie like it's just like it probably would have just made it worse so like as entertaining as that might be i just don't know if any of the problems with it could have been fixed like without someone that like really knew the era like looking over the script and being like okay this needs yeah more. 
So like he might get he might get better. Like I'm not gonna like say that I you know think this man is like hopeless. Like I think this was like a decently competent movie, and you know you've confirmed what I had heard that it's you know like a pretty accurate movie because one of the first things that I heard people saying about this movie was like shit, it actually looks to be like really accurate, and there's like not a ton to complain about. So like he did like a good job, I think, on the accuracy front. It's just that like as a sensibility i don't think it quite yeah i think that's very much a good way of thinking about it is that clearly like somebody for this movie did a decent amount of research and uh, a lot of it you know gets kind of very meticulously then placed into this movie um but despite that the sensibility as you said it feels very modern and it it feels very much like the kind of thing that you would get with somebody who doesn't really know anything about the middle ages but who read some books of like basically kind of military and political history. And so they kind of got some like points and some beats right in terms of uh, facts and kind of little details here and there, but that it just doesn't feel like the way people interacted with one another in a medieval society. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like the military and political beats are right, but like the culture. Exactly. I just don't think they read any social or cultural history. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you can you can respect that he's a good director. I I've seen a few of his movies. Starred up is a good movie. Um, Had a high water is a very good movie. And this is this is a good movie. It's well directed, but you can only shine a turd so much. <laughs> and the problem with this is all in the interactions between the people, which don't come across as real. Um, like yeah. even. I would say other than, like, Robert and Elizabeth, who I think, like, have a genuine, like, warmth and affection between them, but I think yeah. it's because of the actors. Yeah, so they, like, but I, they have a warmth yeah. and an affection between them, which is great. They're, they're, they are good actors, and or he's a good actor, she's a good actress, or actors, whatever we want to describe them. But the problem is that all three of us have agreed, or I do agree, mostly, I just listen to what Sarah tells me, um, that... <laughs> That the the interaction between it that we see would never have happened. Yeah, yeah. So the director has chosen to show him saying, "No, I'm not going to sleep with you on the first night." The director, and that's like, oh, this shows that he's got respect for her and he's not a bad person. He wouldn't have waited for two years to no. let them build yeah, a relationship. No. So, like, all of that stuff doesn't make sense when you're watching the movie. So, yes, it it's it's well directed and. He's set that up, but at the same time, you're still sitting to yourself saying, in a realistic sense, this would not have happened. And even the way they interact with each other, like that whole apologizing for sending her out of the room, it's more likely he would have walked in and said, why would you open your mouth like that and right. embarrass yeah. me? Yeah. Like you were, you were making me seem like I am the weaker person in the relationship because I'm letting my wife speak for me. Right, like that's the kind of thing that, you know, really, especially if in his position where he's very much kind of trying to establish himself as an important person, as a potential claimant to the throne, he really would not have wanted to get that reputation of his wife telling him what to do. I mean, like that's, and like, that's the kind of thing I feel like that, honestly, you know, like Eleanor of Aquitaine can kind of pull off that shit. Like this, this woman can't pull Mm. off that shit. Yeah, well, Eleanor Aquitaine pretty much did run two kingdoms. At yeah, various and points. also like led all so, of her like, sons in rebellion against their father. So good because her father was a nasty man. Yeah. So uh, 
we better get on to our next section because we've been talking a lot. We know, nearly talked about that as much as we did about Chris Pine's <clears> penis, um, <laughs> which is a tongue twister in and of itself. Uh, so the next section is where we talk about one person from history. And I noticed this. I thought Sarah was going to talk about Robert De Bruce, but it turns out <laughs> I was wrong. This week's Historia at Veritas is about Robert De Bruce's corpse. Do you like the way I did a little bit of jazz interpretation on the Ed Veritas there? It's just like, I'm trying to, trying to change it up. So, okay, if, if the penis is Richard the Bruce, how would we refer to his corpse? Oh, I don't know. Um, zombie the Bruce. Rob Zombie. zombie. The Bruce. Uh, <laughs> Rob Zombie, perfect. That's brilliant. Yes. So, you know, I, I could have actually, like, just talked about Robert the Bruce and, you know, like, things about his reign as King of Scotland and all that. But instead, I came across some fun stories about what happened to various parts of his body <laughs> and after he died and decided to talk about that instead. Um, Tell us more. So one thing that I think is awesome that a bunch of medieval kings did is that they decided that they wanted different things to happen to different parts of their corpse. Uh, so they had certain chunks of their body cut off and divvied up and sent along elsewhere. Um, it's something medieval kings did, and you also see this happening with uh, various figures who had the kind of reputation for sanctity as well, uh, who got divvied up into relics. So uh, Robert the Bruce, in particular, uh, said in his will that he wanted his heart to go on a nice little vacation uh, before its ultimate destination of uh, burial at Melrose Abbey in Scotland. And specifically, that he wanted his heart to go on crusade to Jerusalem. <laughs> um, so he uh, left his heart uh, entrusted in particular to his friend James Douglas, who is uh, one of the many men I lost track of in this movie who really liked king- uh, killing English people. James, he's played by um, Kickass. Uh who's also Quicksilver oh. in the Marvel movies. Nice. Um, yeah, Aaron, Aaron Taylor, Taylor Thomas. Oh. Yeah. Well, after the death of Robert the Bruce, that dude got his heart in a nice little metal chest for him to wear as a necklace. And instead of going on <laughs> crusade to Jerusalem, he uh, went on the cute little mini crusade to um, what is now Spain, uh, so against the Muslim kingdom of Granada. And in a surprise kind of ambush attack, uh, basically, he get, ends up getting killed in battle. And according to legend, when his, you know, he's like being attacked and is about to get killed, he takes off the heart in an urn and throws it at the guy, shouting, lead on, brave heart, I'll follow thee. <laughs> his attacker does not seem to have been dissuaded by this and killed him anyway. And Douglas's remains, along with Robert the Bruce's heart in an urn, were brought back to Scotland, where the heart was buried at Melrose Abbey. However, no one actually bothered, like, marking where the heart was buried. (laughs) So in 1921, somebody basically dug it up, said, huh, I wonder what this is, and then put it back. (laughs) Um, and then in 1996 they dug it up again at which point somebody did some science and figured out that uh indeed it contained some human remains from approximately the correct period and based on that reburied it now with an inscription saying that it is the heart of robert the bruce (laughs) 
just want the inscription to be like, this is the heart of Robert the Bruce, like parenthetical we think. Like, <laughs> it's like very poetic. It's I bound think. to be. It's somebody's heart. I think it actually heart. says on the website for the Abbey or for somewhere else, like, there's no reason to think it's not the heart of Robert the Bruce. <laughs> it's definitely somebody's heart. Um, so what happened to the rest of his corpse? So the rest of his corpse was buried at Dumfriesline Abbey um, at his death in 1329. And he bought a really, really fancy white marble tomb from Paris um, to cover up his corpse. During the Reformation, however, the Protestants decided a fun thing to do was to go into churches and break shit. um, So the tomb got destroyed. In 1818, they then started digging around and found a vault which had a skeleton covered in cloth of gold and nearby a bunch of fragments of marble and alabaster. So based on this, they're mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. We found the tomb of Robert the Bruce. That's exciting. Um, eventually they also looked at the corpse itself and uh, saw that the sternum had been sawn open for, which is what you would do if you're going to remove someone's heart. Um, so that also is, you know, additional evidence that this is likely to be the remains of Robert the Bruce. Uh, since then, they have had a lot of fun with Robert the Bruce's skull. Um, so they did a pretty much immediately, they did a bunch of like very kind of high quality casts of the skull before, you know, reburying mm-hmm. him. And based on the casts, there have been a bunch of attempts to do facial reconstructions of his skull. Now, when they were doing these facial reconstructions, one of them, or at least one of them, actually did two different versions. The version for if Robert the Bruce had leprosy and the version for if Robert the Bruce did not have leprosy, because a big historical Mm -hmm. debate has been whether Robert the Bruce had leprosy. (laughs) Um, And, but we all know his dad did, because we saw it in that documentary, Braveheart. Which got it from the younger Robert the Bruce. No. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, very recently, so in 2017, the kind of latest word on the big Robert the Bruce leprosy debate is that based on the kind of original best quality plaster cast of his skull, um, something about how the bones work um, are not compatible with him having had leprosy. They would have been in worse shape, I guess, basically, had he had leprosy than they actually mm-hmm. were. Uh, so, as of now... Robert the Bruce officially does not have leprosy. (laughs) Well, I'm glad he's officially been cleared. It was also a very weird article because it was like, Robert the Bruce's name has been cleared. And it's like, chill, it's not his fault he got leprosy. If he got leprosy, (laughs) it's not like a moral (laughs) failing. I was going to say, like, also, that doesn't make him a bad king. Like, dude was was chronically ill. Like, chill out. So, yeah, it was like a very weird article. You got to ask yourself. Where did he get the leprosy from? <laughs> Maybe one of the whores that he probably slept with when exactly. he was waiting to sleep with his like wife for two, two years. Two years getting any of Elizabeth. Well, or for the like eight years that she was in prison. <laughs> no, they were in love at that stage, Sarah. He wouldn't have, you know, he definitely would have waited. He would have, he would have remained true until they ran well, to each other Well, if he was waiting, I bet he then came even more quickly that time than he did the first time. Oh my God, Sarah if Decker... <laughs> And that's going to be the poor, like, second time this poor woman has sex. And she's like, it's always this fast? <laughs> well, if she's, you know, if she's reaching a climax as well as she did the first time, like, 
she's probably happy that stuff. Has. She'd be like, yeah, it's great. Now I can go back to being a yeah, feminist. Yeah, because she, defi- she definitely, have to worry she definitely this, reached a climax in two minutes. She definitely wasn't faking. Listen, <laughs> let's just move on to our next section where, although that's great to hear about this body. Um, I don't know what I want to, I want to, I'm going to donate my body to science. You, you could send it on crusade. No, do you know what? Actually, I've done enough for science in my life. I'm going to donate my body to the humanities and see what they can do with it. <laughs> they, hey, they, they they do that sometimes. There was a guy that donated his skull to be yours. <laughs> no way. And Hamlet. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. great. Yeah, I, I I need to find the verification for it, but I know that that's actually something that's happened. There was a guy that literally was like, I want my skull to be used as yours. <laughs> you know what? That dude had leprosy. Jokes on <laughs> them. Just spreading it around. Jokes on all those people who had it. Alas, Pierre, why is my hand? Oh, no! Uh, so we now move on to our next section where we come up with uh, a different version of the movie based on what we would like to hear or see in a movie called Outlaw King. And it can bear no resemblance Thank God, because mine bears no resemblance to this movie. Um, so this week we got uh, because we got a special guest. You get a bonus. You get three other possible better movies, and this is a section we call Fabulous Um, which of you two lovely ladies would like to go first? Okay, so I will go first. So, um, I decided that I wanted to do a combination of. A- I decided I wanted to just kind of go for it and do some like medieval-esque fantasy, but that I wanted it to be kind of inspired by some real historical events. So as uh, some of you may or may not know, one of the uh, inspirations for the wars in Game of Thrones between the Starks and the Lannisters is uh, the real life Wars of the Roses between the Yorks and the Lancasters. He's like barely even subtle about it. Um <laughs> So I would like to do my own (laughs) fantasy representation of that, um, which is going to be centered on somebody who's the kind of equivalent to um, Edward IV of England, who was uh, deposed by a Lancastrian ruler. Um, So it's going to be kind of the Wars of the Roses, but they're going to like fight with magic because why not? Because we need more magic. Um, (laughs) So that's basically my idea for this movie. Um, yeah, I and <laughs> I want to have Michael B. Jordan in it as our Edward the Fourth, and uh, I would like to cast as his uh, actually somewhat controversial love interest. Uh, his Edward the Fourth's real life wife was uh, a widow, and some people had like very strong feelings about this and whether it's appropriate. Um, uh, so I would like to cast in that role Emma Watson. And so he is going to be an outlaw oh. king because it's the period in which he has been technically deposed. Very interesting. That sounds very good. Um, Tracy, what movie would you make if you had all the money in the world? I, I think that for, you know, for all the talk that it got for being in this movie, that there just wasn't enough Chris Pine dick. So I, I, I just want like outlaw peen, <laughs> like the porn parody. Like, just that, like, sex scene just, like, ramped up and, like, instead of, like, taking the other castles, he has to, like, fuck other people's wives or something. Like, just 
<laughs> just like lather on that like medieval cuckoldry thing and just just let it happen. Because for all the press that that moment got, it was nothing. So we we just got to lean full tilt into. I this. feel like also it would be fun if then like as long as we're doing as long as like you're doing that, I feel like it would be nice to have a movie with Edward the Second where instead of just like doubting his masculinity, they just like made him gay. And so we can also like just have him having like yeah, a ton of sex with some great. dudes. And then he could be an outlaw king because, like, sodomy was illegal or something. Yeah. There we, there we but, go. I mean, <laughs> if he is him having sex with two, with, and you said with two dudes, like, we might well go the full way, right? But <laughs> if it's just him having sex with another dude, wouldn't that be the ultimate show of masculinity? Yes. Because you're getting to see two dicks <laughs> at the same time. I mean, they would have said that in ancient Greece. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. There's nothing more manly than this. Um, yeah, I I would watch both of these movies. I'm not I'm not <laughs> sure if I would want to admit that I would sit down to watch the porn uh a parody of Outlaw King. Um but I probably would. Let's let's face I, it. I wasn't brave enough to go looking to see if it actually exists, but I feel like just based on like the sheer amount of time. Okay, I'm gonna be brave and I'm just gonna there. I'm just gonna Google it. Um there's nothing obvious that I'm coming across immediately. <laughs> oh well, it's out there. Okay, so the so the market is just yeah. You let's, it, let's, it uh... hasn't yet been made, so you still have the opportunity. <laughs> if you were fantasy casting we'll it, find. would it still be Chris Pine? <laughs> yes. <laughs> who who else would be in it? I don't know. I I. I don't know. I think he and Florence Pugh had like good chemistry that that just got wasted on that like those two minutes. So just just let them go at <laughs> go it wait. and have fun. Wasted <laughs> on that two minutes. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So um, I went last couple of times we've done this era. I've gone a little bit hybrid. I've been trying to win Oscars, mm-hmm. and uh, and I've decided that in this one here, it's it's a a movie named Outlaw King has never won an Oscar. So I'm going to give up on my Oscar hunt. Right. So. I am going to create a movie which is something that I think a lot of people would enjoy watching in the same way that I would enjoy watching it. So my idea for Outlaw King is going to be set somewhere around about 800 to 900 um, AD. And it's going to involve a group of Vikings. And these Vikings are going to be played by Mads Mikkelsen. Mm-hmm. Um, Ulrich Thompson, Michael Nyquist, uh, Nikolai Koster-Waldu, and let's just say Stellan Skarsgård, right? Now, they're going to come and try to invade Northern England. They're going to be coming down doing raids, they're going to be trying to take over whatever stuff. And the the, the rulers there, the lords and ladies, have, have no chance of fighting against them. They're, they're getting destroyed, getting killed or whatever. But little do they know that living in the woods and the forest out there there is an outlaw king a man who has taken it upon himself to look after the small folk and that man will be played by solomon kane james Pierpoy, and he will have help from his best friend rufus sewell and the two of them are going to fight off against this viking invasion so it's basically going to be outlaws versus vikings and it's about the outlaw king and how he comes to save northern England from the plague.
plague of Viking invaders, and it's just going to be balls to the wall, ridiculous action. Awesome, sounds fun. And they can give I would us definitely yeah. watch. They that. can give us two Oscars mm-hmm. for special <laughs> effects, and strangely enough, Max von Sydow supporting <laughs> actor. Is he a bad guy? He's definitely a bad guy. He starts out as, oh, I'm just, I'm I'm all my old friend. I don't know, you seem creepy. No, I'm your friend. Um, Yeah, so that's what I would do. Outlaw King, about a leader of outlaws in the woods who end up having to fight off a bunch of invading Vikings. Nice. So it's like weird Viking Robin Hood. Like a weird Viking Robin Hood. So basically, yeah, think of it as Robin Hood Versus the Vikings. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? Whoever's listening, make Yeah, movie. seriously. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so now we get down to the thing where we, we do our submissions. Now, we've done quite a lot of submissions in this so far. Uh, we've basically gone through it and talked about the director stuff. But we'll give it a mark at a five in a section we call Estim. <clears throat> My voice broke. <laughs> um, Estimatio. Estimatio. Uh, <laughs> uh, We'll get our guests go first. Tracy, what would you give this movie out of five? And why? I'd say like probably like a like a three, maybe like a three and a half if I was feeling generous. But like it was like it was competent, it was well made. I just feel like, you know, not all of the parts came together and maybe I was expecting a little more of it because I you know, I like Chris Pine, I like the director, I thought they did good work together, but I just felt watching it that like it just didn't really add up i just thought that you know it it could have been more i think they you know they they did a competent job explaining the history it you know it the actors were good it just it was just lacking something and i think like i said it's not to say that i don't think the director could get better i think that you know maybe if he was to you know approach another era in this time maybe do like a little more like cultural research he would probably have a good chance of getting it right I just think that for all that this was hyped, like it, it actually like was meant to be like an awards contender. Like that's why it was mm. playing the festival circuit. Like I think that like it, it was. They just thought that it was going to be a stronger movie than it was, and I ended up definitely like feeling that way about it as I was watching it. Yeah, um, I was also I would say definitely a little disappointed by this movie. I think I expected to like it a lot more than I did. Um, I'm going to give it a three out of five as well. And for me, a big part of that is that, yes, it does very well on certain things from a kind of accuracy standpoint, but the vibe just, as we've said before, just really didn't feel right. It very much didn't feel medieval to me. And, you know, I mean, Hey, maybe, maybe they should hire a historical consultant. Uh, give me a call, dude. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I will consult on your uh, your future movie to say uh, this never would have happened in the Middle Ages. <laughs> uh, right, so I'm going to be a little bit more harsh than you guys. I, I, I genuinely thought this movie was okay and I was watching it, I was enjoying it. I'm going to give it a 2 out of 5 and I'm going to give it a 2 out of 5 because one, it's the only movie or TV show that I have ever fallen asleep for while recording this podcast. Now, to let just to let people let in, I'm not the kind of person to fall asleep. It's not because the movie was necessarily that boring. Uh, there's a five-hour time difference between myself and Sarah, so when she's finished work and we're watching it at like 7 o'clock her time, it's 12 o'clock my time when we're starting. So we would have been finishing this movie in half two. But I 
regularly record podcasts at half two in the morning and I'm still wide awake for them. So for me to fall asleep at the end of it is not a good sign for me. And that would still maybe have left it with a three and a five. But this movie suffers from one thing that I hate in movies and it is where they dull the colours to make it seem depressing and sad and dark. This movie was very grey. So if... And this, but yeah. Now like that a, you say that, I realize that, and yeah. it drives me insane. There's no reason to do it. If somebody comes in wearing a red dress, I shouldn't be seeing a dark maroon dress. Yeah, and have people referring to it as red. And that this movie is one hundred percent of the scenes have that dulling done to the thing, and it, I, I hate it. I don't, I don't see why it's done in any movie. Except to give like a pallor of depression over the movie or something. They and didn't discover every color time I see it. Ages. But that's like that's what they're basically <laughs> applying is that apples weren't green and red back then. They were off grey and slightly darker off grey. Like it's it's a weird thing that they do, and it happens in a lot of these medieval type movies. They do it. Um, this is really inside baseball. I can tell the director of Game of Thrones. Uh, episodes by the first three seconds of the of this show because they do it in some Game of Thrones episodes mm. where they color matte everything down and fade it down and straight out I'll be able to go oh that's X Y and Z right um and I, it really gets to me and anytime I see it in a movie I just go right I'm taking a point off for that there's no reason to do it um Sarah you remember uh none of our listeners or maybe four or five of our listeners heard the pilot episode we did yeah this. the uh as yet unofficial uh, not officially released pilot episode on the movie pilot Black episode Death. we oh, won't sorry. say what the movie you can you can cut oh, it out we'll, we'll <laughs> no we will no we will we'll say what it is it was the movie black death and that movie has it in every single scene yeah. as well where the grass the grass is great <laughs> so bad it's like it's a color movie and it's a black but it might as well be a black and white movie and i hate it and i'm taking a point off every time i see it so this would have been a three out of five but I'm taking that off for it because there's no reason for grass to be a kind of a dull brown color in this movie. So uh, two out of five for me. Uh, and I kind of drifted off to sleep. Yeah. And also, this is going to sound terrible because I know Tracy loves him. I don't <laughs> think Chris Pine is a very good dramatic actor for a movie like this. And I think it like it depends on the material sometimes, and I think like also like again he's not someone that's done period pieces before, so like that yeah like, he didn't feel like it, Robert the Bruce to me I guess yeah I think it works really well in Hell or High Water because he's playing what would be a blue eyed American boy yeah uh, I think it works really badly in something like A Wrinkle of Time mm. where he's meant to be playing the older loving caring father right. figure. and i just can't get over the fact that he's the beautiful blue-eyed boy and <laughs> i think maybe that's what it is maybe he's just too handsome there are some people that you just can't get over that mac and i think with me chris pine is one of them where i just don't think i'll ever take him seriously as a dramatic actor hmm. The other thing, by the way, uh, related to your color issue with this movie that I wanted to note is that at least on my TV, this was the quietest thing I have ever watched. 
<laughs> oh no! When when there was that opening scene and it was all the the men congregating around Whispering. and like I said, the rotating camera work. I swear to God, I keep my TV on maybe like fifteen, and I had to amp it up to like forty. I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> this is the first time I had turned my <laughs> so... TV up to its highest possible volume, which made it sound <laughs> normal during the action scenes, and I still had no idea what was going on during half of the non-action scenes. The... I turned I turned on the closed captions because I wasn't sure that I was like hearing the dialogue. I was like, I'm not sure what's going on right now. <laughs> the exact same thing happened to me. And the worst thing about it is is that I don't know if this happens with American Netflix or ne- Netflix. <laughs> is that Next- the porn parody of Netflix? Netflix. Yeah, it might be. Next <laughs> Netflix. Um but uh in Irish Netflix, it automatically plays a trailer at the end of every movie. So I was watching it and I had it turned up to 67 or whatever it is, the highest volume <laughs> on my TV is. And next minute it starts blasting out this thing for an anime that I've, I've never watched an anime on my Netflix. And yet it's blasting out this thing. I think maybe it's because I watched Terrace House. It's blasting out because you watched X, you might enjoy Castlevania. And it was just like shouting at me. It was like my eardrums nearly burst and I was worried about waking up my neighbors. That's how Woke you up so, at least. Yeah, it was a, a weirdly, <laughs> yeah, weirdly, a weirdly mixed audio and uh, edited sound in this movie. Yeah, some somebody from Netflix needs to work on that. Uh, true, but uh, yeah, we should uh, we should finish up and call it a day there. So, Sarah, would you like to talk to us? Of course. Um, so, if you enjoyed our podcast today, we would love if you could uh, rate and review us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts as well as subscribe. Uh, we are available on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, as well as on various other podcasting platforms, uh, including uh, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Google Podcasts, and I think at this point, pretty much anything we can think of. But if we've missed any, do let us know. Uh, we would love to have people join our Facebook group to interact with us, um, as well as to follow us on Twitter at Media Evil Pod. If you have any questions for us or suggestions for future movies or anything else, uh, we encourage you to send us an email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. So that's M-E-D-I-A dot E-V-A-L-P-O-D at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, Perfect. and you can also, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and wherever else at Sarah If Decker. And Ollie, they can find you other places as well. Yeah, you can find me, uh, you can find me on the, my other podcast, which I do with my best friend, Emily. Uh, it's called Best Acquaintances, and it's a, it's a great podcast where we just talk to people that we've met on the internet, and that's how I met Sarah and how I've met uh, Tracy before. Um, if you want to just find me on Facebook, I'm on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Media Evil. <laughs> um, you, w- you won't actually be talking to me, but th- technically that's a fishing thing, or at Ollie and Emily. Um, either way, y- you're not going to get much chat out of me because I don't know how Twitter works. Um, Tracy, where can people find you if they want to find out more about uh, about your love for the the Austin verse? <laughs> um, so, like Holly said, I have an episode of Best Acquaintances that people can listen to if they want to hear me like going on about Jane Austen <laughs> for like forty five. It's minutes. a great episode, but um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> thank you. And um, I'm also in the the Facebook groups for Best Acquaintances and Media Evil. I the Media Evil Facebook group is and both and both groups are just so much fun. I, I love the people there. It's really fun just being able to be like, I'm watching Merlin. <laughs> what's going on? And, um, and so I I definitely yeah recommend like going to those groups and checking them out and if anyone wants to talk to me there it's a great place perfect so uh sarah 
What movie? <laughs> Wait, maybe. Yeah, it's on this before. Tracy, what movie do you think we should yeah. do next week? Oh, God. When when you said Black Death before, is that the weird movie with, like, Eddie Redmayne and Sean Bean? <laughs> yep. That oh, God. I love Eddie, I love Eddie Redmayne. Redmayne. I haven't Sean brought Bain. myself to watch that movie. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Well, You'll hate I... Eddie Redmayne by the end of it. <laughs> you will hate it. It's, he's doing his whisper talk, random shout thing. And, and he's an just, asshole oh, who hates women. And he's a twat. <laughs> but Sean Bean, you know, does get to have a pretty cool death. When you guys covered, um, when you guys covered the older Three Musketeers, I I saw that it was the older Three Musketeers, but um, I now I can't remember what year it was, but there was a, a recent Three Musketeers with um, steampunk Three Musketeers, yeah, with with like Christoph Waltz and like Orlando Bloom and like all these like great people, and I was like, why does this movie have so many people I like in it, and why do I have to go see it? And it was terrible. I would love to, I would love to Fine. hear what you guys have to say about that. Fine. <laughs> Sarah, that's what we'll do for next week. All right, we're going to do the 2011 Three Musketeers. We're, we're going to 2011 Three right. Musketeers. I am very excited sorry. to watch Ray this movie. Stevenson Baron fucking Ven. Oh, oh wow. Okay, sorry. Never mind. Just, just we, we can keep going. I just looked up something about the summary for this movie. <laughs> about the what? Uh, I just was looking up the movie and I just saw the beginning of this of the uh, the summary. To which my answer is fucking what? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's a steampunk uh, movie. Can I just Sarah? read? We can um, cut this out, but I just want to read the be- the opening sentence of the plot of this movie. In Venice, mm-hmm. the Musketeers Athos, Porthos, and Aramis, with the help of Milady de Winter, steal airship blueprints made by Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci. However, they are betrayed yep. by Milady, who inca- incapacitates them and sells the blueprints to the Duke of Buckingham. That's exactly what this movie what? is about. <laughs> Why? I can't How? believe I went to see that movie in theaters. Parkour. Parkour, Sarah. Just like in uh, King Arthur Legend of the Sword. Which I actually have sitting next exactly. to me because I just got it from my library. Oh, <laughs> it's I, so bad. We have we've recorded that episode already. I've heard like such we've I've already heard such that, mixed that, things. I've heard out. like some people that are like, no, like it's really good because like it doesn't take itself seriously. And I've heard like, no, it's really terrible. Don't watch it. So I'm curious. It's <laughs> really bad. It is also another movie that hates women like oh, more God. than anything else I've seen. <laughs> That's not that's not surprising because uh, Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes just fridges the shit out of Irene Adler. Uh, <laughs> so. I haven't seen that. This this the yeah. second one. Yeah. She's the best And then of in the, in the second movie, like they obviously like Rachel McAdams obviously had a scheduling conflict and she's in it for five minutes and dies. Oh god. <laughs> in the most yeah. anticlimactic oh, way no. ever. Yeah, so yeah, it's all about him getting revenge. It's so yeah, so uh, so Tracy, if you recall the uh, the Ift Decker test from previous episodes, <laughs> uh, King Arthur: Legend of the Sword is the movie for which I invented it. <laughs> it does not pass. That is, it's literally oh, why God. she invented it, and it's such a. I can't even. I can, I, but do you know what? The weird thing about it is, I can see why, you know, the people who are telling you it's yeah. actually not bad, it's it's fun. It's it's bad. Yeah, oh, no, it's bad. It's wrong, it's bad. <laughs> but I can get what it is. Like, it is it is done with a joyful lack of caring for continuity, any sort of attempt at historical accuracy. They certainly do not care about um, that now. Any sort of attempt at logic. <laughs> yeah. It's just. Oh. <laughs> and the worst thing to do is to kill off. 
like they they make Uther, uh, Eric Bana plays Uther, and he's like he's cool, charismatic Eric Bana, and then they kill him off like really quickly. And you're like, damn, now I have to watch. Charlie oh god, Hunter. yeah, he's like a block of wood sometimes. It's, it's so bad. And then they're also like, actually, as long as we're killing Eric Vanna, here are two women we can also murder. Oh god. Dan, it's so, there's two women just die, like, boom, yep. boom. And you're like, oh, they had Nate. Oh, they're <laughs> like, there's Nate, no. In, Bye. Including Tracy. And so I don't want to spoil this for you too much because you're going to watch it this evening, maybe. Morgana's uh-huh. in it. And um, let's just say, you know, you might not make it. So sad. I just love like like crucial figure of like Arthurian legend, and it's like, eh, she doesn't matter. Like, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. What plays, I mean uh, is, Katie as in, oh, the actress oh, who plays geez. Katie McGrath. Yeah, it's Morgana from Merlin. And I'm like, yeah. Morgana. I'm so happy. And then it's like, oh nope, there she goes. We, the two of us, were so excited. Oh, it's Morgana's in. No. Oh, bye. Oh. <laughs> That's horrible. Okay. All right. Uh, we better yeah. call this to an end. Um, Tracy, thank you so much for coming on. Sarah, always a pleasure. No problem. Thank you. Yes, for Tracy, thank me. you so much for coming. Ali, a uh, delight to record with you as always. And as we said, we we we've, we've let our guest pick our episode, and I'm gonna call that feature every time we've guest now pick our poison. Um, and that's what we're going to watch. So goodbye, everybody, and um, you know, enjoy this sweet ass outlaw king tune that I'm going to play over the top of this. Mm-hmm. Like snow